Okay, so we'll go a little bit back of how myself and Brad Federson have uh, really met each other back in the day. You know, when we were talking about, back when I was talking to you guys about my painting experience, basically as a college kid, learning how to run your own painting business, how to hire people, how to paint yourself and teach people to paint. And I don't know if you did really well enough, you could even teach them how to interview the other people so you didn't have to. So a lot of real world experience and as a college kid, I think that experience probably helped me through my future jobs more than anything. I mean, could you, did you feel like you could say the same looking back at it? Yeah. And, and just based on your future guest list with Amy Carpenter, Kevin Moen, um, some other Seattle uh, student painter alumni, I mean, it, it was common thread amongst the student painter alumni to say like, what I learned here was better than my degree, you know, cause as 18, 19, 20 year olds, we had employees, we had the whole the whole shebang on our shoulders. It's like, we have to not only go find the business, we have to find the people to do the business. And then we have to make sure everybody's happy. Like people are getting paid and clients have good work. And you, and you come back to school after a summer of that. And you're like, looking at kids in your classes, like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, guys, <laughs> like I'm an employer. Like I was a boss. It, it is a transformational experience for me as an 18, 19 year old to be like, I just employed four people and painted like 20 houses this summer. I just made like 16 grand, I think was what I made my freshman year. And it just like it blew my mind and like I had to because I 18 I was out of my own so like that's why I was telling you I, I missed class when I got that flyer it was like shit make 10,000 bucks this summer come to this information session I'm like I don't know what this is and I was shocked I was like painting what but it, they you know student painters goal their mission statement was I probably won't get the verbatim I had to memorize the verbatim <laughs> at one point as, you had the whole script oh right? yeah but it's like, like dang. it well um Student Painter's mission statement was, uh, with the voice of our experience to guide them, uh, to to provide a challenge wherein the spirit of entrepreneurialism, with the voice of our experience to guide them, students could gain a level of experience and achievement that would forever set them apart. That was close. That, that was the mission statement. And they embodied it. Like, it was, we are going to create an entrepreneurial challenge with our experience, and this is going to forever set you apart. And it was painting. Like we ran painting businesses, but it was beautiful because what other business can you start and stop like within a three, four month period? And it, granted, we had the sale season that we all had to work part time during uh, spring semester or, tri or quarter, whatever it was. And then when your summer vacation, you were full time. And I think you said this earlier, like getting paid shit. Like they're paying you <laughs> minimum wage for your for your hours in. And no, they're paying you minimum wage for a 40 hour work week. And you were doing 80 to 100. There were so many stories of people going to bed in their painting clothes and just waking up and like you didn't shower for days. And it's just like, but you got the real entrepreneurship experience. And, uh, and, and then at the end, you usually got a big profit check and a Mexico award trip. And it was, it was a blast. And you're just like hanging out with all these other hustlers that are working hard and playing hard. And it started a, a great culture and a great entrepreneurial foundation. It was almost like whoever could tough it through was pretty successful. And that's, kind of just the story of business and entrepreneurship at the end of the day anyways, right? I think they say 48% of businesses in their first year fell, and that's obviously pre-COVID. I couldn't imagine what the statistics are now that COVID's going on. But, um, yeah, to his point, you know, going through college campus, wasn't getting paid anything on college. And, you know, I have a single mother. I had to pay bills if I wanted to do anything besides live off of um, scholarships and the grant money that I had, which isn't for everlasting. So if you wanted to go out and have some fun, you, you had to make some money. And they handed me a flyer that said, I just remember $15,000. And 
I was like, man, $50,000, like, that's a lot of dough. Like, I got to at least hear him out. And that's when I had met Brad because he was the GM of the market and they were just expanding to Montana and he had kind of talked to me a little bit about what it was, what it's going to look like. Cool story, but come to find out, you know, I'm not going to get paid for, I don't know, three, four months. You got to learn how to walk around a house and estimate it, which is still awesome skill, by the way. I was like, I'll tell people like, <laughs> yeah, man, 20 seconds, like, give me seven minutes. I can walk around this and tell you the overhead that I want, like the exact cost uh -huh. of what this is going to cost. Have you painted any houses since college? Just like just family friends. Yeah. Not, I don't own any homes or anything, but hey, I, I do want to start getting into real estate and uh, flipping them for B&Bs. So if they need painted, I don't have to pay anybody. I can do it myself. Yeah. I mean, if I'm up for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're going through, you're learning the skills. And I was driving all the way to Spokane, which is a three-hour drive from Montana. And, you know, in the winters of Montana, there's two passes driving through the snow. And just, like, kind of on this pipe dream of, like, if I, if I get through it, you know, I'm learning some skills. I have some sharp people around me. Like, I'm going to make some money. I just, I just know it's going to happen. And, you know, did pretty well. I think my commission check was just right under $20,000 for which at the time was amazing. And they do pay you bi-weekly salary throughout the summer, which was minimum wage in Seattle, which I believe at the time was $13 an hour. So that compared to Montana is still winning. So I was making pretty good money, um, was able to have some money to support myself through school and just learning these great life lessons. And um, we got to go because we had earned the reward, just like most sales jobs, kind of like a president's club. The top performers of a certain threshold got to get a five-day all-inclusive trip to uh, Mexico, which I was 18 at the time, so it was super dope because the legal age there was 18. And I definitely had some good experiences there with you guys and the crew. I think everyone there was a little older. I was one of the younger younger individuals there. But, um, I mean, I didn't... I was only 20. Only 20, yeah. I mean, you guys seemed older. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Like we yeah. said, I think it was about eight years ago. So yeah. time flies, that's for sure. Um, but a cool experience, and I think a lot of those lessons that I've learned have really helped me get back into entrepreneurship and sales and have really helped guide me to the be the individual that I am today. Um, but moving on from that, I know that you're currently running your own painting business now, and we'll dive further into that, uh, but also the co-founder of Space Paint. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Space Paint... Mm. It's not the money. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love talking about this. This is stuff that lights me up. And uh, Space Paint was, it came out of a Techstar Startup Weekend in Seattle last November. It was the Space Edition. Um, and Techstar Startup Weekends, they happen all over the world. I think, I might get this stat wrong. It's like 1500 a year they Let do. Let me pause you before we get yeah. into this. How, how did you even hear about this and why did you want to be a part of it? So I'm part of the Space Entrepreneurs Meetup Group here in Seattle. Um Honestly, this goes back to like a childhood dream of mine, which uh, thankfully Elon Musk has kind of validated because when I used to tell people in high school that, oh, who are you going to be when you grow up? Well, I'm going to colonize Mars. It was like my grandma had asked my mom, like, can I just stop saying that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Thanksgiving but, table, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you guys stop. It's embarrassing. He said, I got to stop saying that. But then, you know, thankfully, like uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX, they've, they've made enormous strides, like science fiction level strides. The fact that they could take a, a rocket from orbital to vertical landing on a drone ship it's incredible like nobody believed they could do it and and the fact that that company is purposely staying private in order to focus on a long-term plan that no government has yet been able to effectively traject towards of colonizing mars and so you know for me to paint houses i joke like that we're actually uh painting houses to build capital for our small space company like um do you tell people that 
Uh, not usually customers. <laughs> Sometimes I'll tell my employees that. I'm like, hey, do you guys actually know that the LLC is New Space Farm? Because I started this to be a small satellite company to grow the furthest plant from Earth to found a space agricultural company. But obviously that didn't make any money, so I started painting houses again because I learned to do that in college. And, and so, guys, just know we're painting houses to build capital for this space company. It's, it's kind of a funny... Yeah, anyways. Actually, I was so broke when I started PNW House Painting that I was like, well, shit, I already have this other LLC. Like, I'll just buy a trade name for $10, PNW House Painting. And so it is New Space Farm, LLC, with the trade name PNW House Painting. So sometimes even, like, vendors or, or clients, like, if I write a check from the bank that just says New Space Farm, I'm like, what's this? I'm like, well, it's a painting company. <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> this guy's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. Um, yeah. But, yeah, go back to the uh, uh, Techstars. Mm. Yeah, Techstars. So Techstars Startup Weekend, um, I think 1500 a year. Pre-COVID, I think that's the metric. So they're doing them like every weekend, like around the world, multiple cities around the world are doing startup weekends. And it's uh, Friday night pitches. You pitch ideas for a business and uh, and then teams form around those ideas. And some of them atrophy and join together. And, and then you work all weekend to create a viable business over the weekend. And there's a panel of judges Sunday night and we won. So Space Paint won the space edition of Techstar Startup Weekend in Seattle last November. And we won by... Um, choosing a NASA patent. And I think one of the reasons we won, I was telling you this earlier, we had some really good competitions. I, I didn't think we were actually number one. I thought we'd like top three. It was really nice to win. Um, but there were some others that were just obviously never going to be a viable business. They were like neat space ideas. But, you know, one of those things that Elon Musk has, aside from mm, selling PayPal to eBay and becoming like a 180 millionaire <laughs> that he could then leverage all those funds into a really high risk activity of creating reusable rockets um, is, you know, most space ideas are not grounded in the reality of you need, they, they have a joke in the space industry. You need uh, the best way to make a space millionaire is to be started as a billionaire. It just takes a lot of money to make a space company. And so space paint was without, it was, was a, I thought a nice convergence of true business potential actual technology this could kind of work and it was actually a little bit sidelined to true space so what we were doing is we we're taking a nasa patent from nasa's technology portfolio that is available to anyone to go to nasa's technology transfer department and look up their portfolio list and then license it as a small business owner in america you have rights to that because our taxpayer f funds have made those patents so really interesting and i i peruse those patents i don't know every six months or so just for curiosity, like wondering. And so that Friday night with the startup weekend, I pitched an idea that I thought was in alignment with my skill set, my reputation, having a painting business with space and had a viable business opportunity. So it was a super hydrophobic coating, hydrophobic from like the Latin, like pho phobia to fear. So it's like high, it's a super water repellent surface essentially. Mm -hmm. And it was developed by NASA for the leading edge of aircraft and spacecraft parts, mainly aircraft. Um, to prevent insect adhesion. So it was essentially a coating that prevented uh, water or anything from sticking to the surface. And on the leading edge of aircraft parts, if incense are sticking to them, like they stick to your windshield on a long car ride, it's gonna improve aerodynamics over the long term and improve efficiency. So NASA developed this and they use it and they're like, well, we're using it, but does anybody else want to? And so we thought we could repurpose this super hydrophobic coating into the maritime industry and use it as a boat bottom paint for high-end racing sailboats. That, so that's where it's a nice overlap between potential real business use case, kind of starting with a high-end clientele that is willing to pay anything to repaint their boats to give them an edge in racing 
and they have to repaint their boat every year too because that's how often you repaint boats and then using a space technology to do so um and so it's a we're still in the technology development phase honestly it's a lot harder to suspend some of these ingredients in an epoxy than you'd think um so our our prototyping is has been slow at best but um so myself, is it more of a side project right now it is yeah it's definitely a non-revenue business for myself um it is like you saw on linkedin it is it helps me continue my 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 toes into the space industry just like uh having pnw house painting painting houses to build capital like my my career goal is to get back to the space industry and to have it make sense to like make money in the space I industry. I feel like as long as you're still in that you know quote unquote industry, I mean, there's you still got your feet in the door, right? You, and you never know who you can meet. The marketing message for my career still points to there, as as you've seen. But maybe my, someone will listen into here and be like, hey, I need to hire this guy for some astronautical space stuff. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you talk about the taxpayer thing though, because I didn't know the specifics on that, and I'm a big Shark Tank guy. Yeah. And in one of the new episodes on Shark Tank this season, you know, quarantine watching shows too much probably. Uh, but his uncle worked at NASA and was like, hey, we have this like material that will stick to anything no matter what. Huh. And he made it a, a phone case thing where you could, oh, cool, let me stick my phone anywhere. Heck and yeah. they, they, he had actually got Damon John to invest into his product, just basically a phone case and a, that was part of a NASA product. So. Nice. Yeah, and one of the other ones I like um, that is like a outdoor apparel is there's aerogel. NASA developed aerogel. is like one of the most insulative materials that we've ever made as humans, and it's 99.9% .9 air. It's like... So, like there's a cube of it I, I, they have like a little balancing photo where it shows how light this massive material is it's incredibly insulative and very light because it's mostly air and these guys ended up kickstarting i forget their name but they kickstarted a jacket company because they're like when you're on top of everest why do you need like this puffy down when nasa's created this lightweight aerogel that's like infinitely more insulative than down and so they created this jacket i don't know how well they're doing as a company but it was they, they at least kickstarted it and had some jackets produced and it was a nice another interesting use of nasa technology for consumer apparel or consumer products so from student painters what happened post student painters i dropped out of college sold everything i owned and moved across the country with just a backpack my girlfriend at the time and our little dog which was to where uh, southern missouri okay i did see the photo <laughs> <laughs> Oh, her family. We just went to visit for Thanksgiving and kind of got stuck there. Um, and then while we were in Missouri, I this is, I mean, this is probably not how you would recommend somebody take their career. You probably should finish college, finish your engineering degree, and then decide to do what you want. But I was like, is oh, that what you're going for engineering? Yeah, yeah. And I, but I was like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter this college degree thing. I'll drop out. This is my second time dropping out. And um, in Missouri, we just kind of got stuck. Didn't really know how to budget. Our world travel plans were a little bit uh, stillborn. We did go to Cuba for amy carpenter's wedding i don't know huh. like that's a that's a pretty interesting experience it was I really fun imagine. um but then we ended up back in missouri and, and i got really into like i'd, I'd read that summer i'd read both Th these are really pivotal for my business experience with student painters being really top tier entrepreneurial development but also rich dad poor dad as a book and the four hour work week by tim ferris those two Love books, those books yeah. i read them that summer and they just like got my gears turning and so when i was in missouri and houses are like the price of cars. I was like, we have to build a rental empire. Like we have to get this this rental empire going so that we can have enough cash flow, free cash flow, to then travel the world indefinitely, um, in you know third world countries where 
you know, $1,500 a month. At the time, I was like, $1,500 a month is all I need to make. Like, if I have $1,500 a month and I don't have to work, I, I'm, I'm so happy. Like, I'm, I, and it's still with, like, I'd be pretty happy in a lot of countries, $1,500 a month. Like, I, I'd get by, but, um, like, my, like, uh, sites have been set a little higher since then, but that was, that was the goal, and we ended up buying a house, uh, my ex-girlfriend and I, uh, in Missouri, and, uh, what was the cost of that bad boy? It was uh, $75,000. <laughs> 2,500 square feet with like a oh 900 square foot deck on a hill with like a commanding view of the of the Ozark Mountains. And our, our across the street neighbor was Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers. Um, like That's crazy. Yeah, our grandparents would know who he was. But if you've seen Top Gun, when they sing to her in the bar, and it's like, you've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love. And they sing to her. Um, the whole That's bar, like... Cool. That was him. And so, like, he had this, like, a, he had this, it was my cross-the-street neighbor. He had, like, this giant estate with this uh, in-ground fountain. And it's like, sweet. Like, look at my, look at my, so, it's like a $600 mortgage. No, it was, like, $550. It's so cheap. Um, her and I ended up breaking up. And also, I couldn't really handle the Southern Missouri culture. So, it was, it was like, two and a half years I ended up there. And I came back. back out here? Moved back out here. And is that when you got back into painting? No. So... Uh, I had added a bedroom and bathroom to that house essentially and did a couple repairs. And so I was able to sell it for All by yourself. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of, uh, negotiating with my Spanglish, some, some contractors do my roof for cheap and some other things like that. Um, yeah. So we, we broke up and I, my sister was graduating from Wazoo in 2015 and I had a flight book to go back for a graduation. And like right before that, I was like, you know what? No, no, I'm going to go. And so I loaded up my car and I just drove and I called my real estate agent. I was like, we're putting the house in the market. And he's like, you uh, sure? Like, <laughs> you sure that's a good idea? I was like, yep, John, it's going on the market. We're going to figure everything else out. And so like I had, I actually had to finish the bathroom from Washington. Like I had to hire contractors from Washington um, in Missouri, get like the tile done in the last shower and some things. But I was just done. I just like committed. I'm going back to Washington. So I was like, homeless again with very few possessions where it's basically you know I, I left to missouri with a backpack full of stuff and i actually filled a car and went back to washington but i was i just like was starting over in 2015 when i landed here so and what how old are you at this time 20 uh, so 25 you've moved across the country twice just kind of went on a whim what what did that do to you what what were some of the experiences that you had there personally maybe not necessarily professionally what do you mean? Like, what do you feel like you gain from doing that? So, I'm from a small town in Wyoming, mm -hmm. and one of the big messages I'm relaying uh, to my listeners is like, dude, nobody gets out of those small towns. Right, like, yeah. Generations and generations and generations are just there. And I don't know, I don't know, Brad, how or what got into me as a human, but I just grew up with friends that had entrepreneur families. Mm -hmm. And when I go to Billy's house, it's like, man, I'm at, like, these guys are livid, like, what, what, like, mom, what are we doing here? Like, what's going on? And, like, you get a little older and you start realizing, like, ah, okay, you know, they've all come from different places. They've had worldly experiences. Like, I didn't know what the answers were, but I knew if I wanted to live the life that I had envisioned, which is not what Pinedale, Wyoming could offer me, mm -hmm. that I had to go to other places, find a network of other people, and learn from that. So I, I know that was more relationship-tied, but there has to be some good personal experiences oh, gosh. molding you to your future generation or yeah. where you are today. Thanks for pulling this out of me because uh, that Missouri was accidentally really mm, pivotal uh, to to my life. It was, you know, maybe I could have finished college. Maybe I could have done some different things. But when I was in Missouri, one of the first jobs I got was a part-time teller at U.S. Bank. 
just like a port in the storm. Like, we got here. Let's get jobs. Uh, this part-time teller was counting money, and it was like, oh, hey, you're pretty good at this. Do you want to be full-time? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to be full-time. Keep keep paying me minimum. It was so cheap. It was like, I don't know, I was making like eight, nine bucks an hour in Missouri. And, and I was like, yeah, I'll be full-time. And it's like, hey, you want to be a banker? Like, a, a they call it a universal banker. So it's like, well, you're still a teller. You still count money all the time and deal with the public. But you can also open up people's business accounts and sell credit cards and do some, like, not uh, home loan originations, but you could do HELOCs, like home loan line of credits. And so and then I was a banker. Um, I was like, cool, I'm learning stuff. I'm also like looking so that like I'm looking into this small town America's bank accounts. Like I, I have access to all of it. And and like most people just don't have money or they're just like, especially in Southern Missouri, they don't have money and they don't know how to work with their money. But every once in a while somebody would come in, it's like, shit, like how are you in this small town and you have this much money? This is, this is unique. Um, one of my business customers uh, owned an executive search firm. And I asked him what that means. He says, well, I, I discreetly recruit my competitors, employees behind the scenes. Um, and, and he just was like smiling and nodding. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. Okay. And then we ended up, I, I, I was talking to him one day and he's like, do you, do you talk to anybody about this? And I'm like, well, I'm talking to you right now. And he's like, we should grab coffee. And so he ended up becoming just like this impromptu mentor of mine who we, we mostly talked about real estate investment. We both had kind of like an interest and a passion for that. But he also had this other business. And one night over beers, he was just said, you know, I would teach you my business if you ever were interested. I'm like, Jeff, I'm going to take you up on that. But first, I need a home loan. I need a home loan. I need this, <laughs> I need this W-2 income to get this home loan. Like, even though it was like nine bucks an hour, like the W-2 with Missouri house prices, I, could, I just needed it. And so as soon as I got my mortgage closed and I, I put in my two weeks notice and because he was banking there, he's like, well, why don't you make it a month notice? Like, let's just keep things like, give him plenty of time to find somebody new. Like, this is my bank. I don't want to like, I just stole their employee. I don't want to piss them off. But then he, I thought he, he was in transportation. Um, and I thought he was just going to give me an industry vertical to learn recruiting, headhunting in. And he's like, well, what industry do you want to do? It's like, really? Well, I'm going to do the space industry. <laughs> and he said, what? Like, <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there a space? Like, what, what do you mean? I'm like, well, there's small satellite and rocket companies popping up all over the place. Like, this is, this is circa 2012 to 14. And so SpaceX had, like, when I started this, SpaceX had not yet landed a rocket vertically but they had become somewhat of a commercial success or were starting to be. And there was um, like planet labs. It's now planet in San Francisco. Um, Skylab or Skybox was bought by Google. There is the small space. This new space industry, as some would call it Blue is Blue Origin. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's stuff. There's definitely like, and a, there's a small little industry. It's not like aerospace. It's not like you're and executive search consulting is a little bit more of an old stodgy industry. Like you think more like Northrop Grumman, Boeing, you mm -hmm. think about banking, you think about transportation. It's kind of a old school industry. Anyway, he was basically paying me to daily call executives at small space companies and just network. And I honestly wasn't that good of a recruiter, but I just was so excited to be talking to these people. And that's what got me to start um, new space farm. Cause I thought, fuck, I'm talking to these, these guys every day. Like, they're not doing anything I can't do. Like, let's just, but they're a little better capitalized than I was. So yeah, that was really pivotal to meet Jeff, my mentor there who gave me that job and taught me a lot. And it was also, I'd never had a boss like that. Even in student painters, they didn't quite, they, they kind of wanted you to drink the Kool-Aid and stay there. Um, even though it's like, well, you're going to go on and do other things. They think they wanted you to stay there. Um, Jeff always was like, Brad, you're going to outgrow this at some point. Let's just keep it an open conversation. Great. So 
I've never had a boss that was that easy to be like, hey, I'm going to move on. Like, I'm doing this next thing. Okay, great. How can I support you? So it's just like he gave me so much time and energy to help me and then also just let me move on when I needed to. Are you still connected with him? Um, like tangentially, we'll, we'll connect every six months to a year just by phone. Okay. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to bring up the whole mentorship thing. You know, I bring up mentors. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, not to, sh- you know, shit on Seattle, but a lot of people grew up here. They get UW scholarships or their parents pay to go to UW, right? And they get these nice degrees and they, like, I'm in SaaS sales. Like, it's been booming since I've been here. They get a SaaS job. They're out of college making, you know, $80,000, $140,000. And they're like, why you got all these mentors, man? It's like not everyone just runs up and gets UW paid for by their parents and gets a $100,000 salary right away and doesn't do shit. But I think it's cool hearing these stories, and I think it's important for the audience that, that tunes in because I'm sure everyone has backgrounds like us. And sometimes just latching onto somebody that has the experience that you don't and asking them questions does bountiful things for you. And that's why I wanted to dive further into Missouri and those experiences because I'm sure there's learning experiences from them. And one of my favorite analogies is like Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. I, Everyone loves Forrest Gump. Like, I'm sure you enjoy that movie at, by, at some point, right? One of my favorites. Why is that movie so cool? It's like, what the fuck does he not do? Like, he does everything and anything. He walks across America. He helps invest in Apple. He runs a ship boating boat. Like, he created. He's a war defense. hero. He's he a saves war like. Hero. Like, he does. He helps the black college Panthers football rally. star. Yeah, 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 college football star. Like everything, everything, and that's what he gets the up. girl in the end. Exactly, Ugh. and that's what makes Gen the movie's cool. No one has a movie that's like, yeah, dude, I grew up rich, had a cool job, retired. Like, what kind of movie is that, right? So as we're getting through the, your story, I, it's just nice to lo- hear those learning experiences and dive a little bit deeper into them. But now let's fast forward. We're here in Seattle. You're doing some of the things with the tech stars. Did you just go right back into painting? Like, oh, shit, let me go back to what I know, or what was it? No, so like that's, that's where my story gets fun and convoluted. So I moved back to Missouri it was nuts. Like I made that drive Southern Missouri to Wazoo for my sister's graduation, no sleep. And it was like 30 hours on the road. Um, I did take, I mean, you said this is rated R, so I did take some, I, I don't know how to enunciate it. It's a, it's an anti-narcolepsy drug. I think it's modafinil or modafinil. I don't know how to enunciate it, but my buddy had got some from online in India. It just makes it so you can't fall asleep. And like I showed up pretty delirious at wazoo but i mean that's what started off 2015 to me like major laser just released that song uh lean on (laughs) and that song just defined my my summer i sold the house in missouri because i called my agent and it was just this nutty freaking story like i just went basically got back to this friend group that i had left three years prior when i went to missouri and they were like why'd you leave and they're like oh thank god you're back and i'm like yeah, I just sold this house, and that was not very much money, but it was just enough for me to be like, yeah, fuck it, I'm just not going to work this summer. And and um, and I just went from like one festival to the next, and I met this this hippie girl, and I fell madly in love with her, and we ended up at Burning Man by the end of the summer, but it was just this, this wild summer, and I sold it. Yeah, it was just wild. And part of the reason I also moved back was that my grandma had been diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, I was looking through your, your list of questions, and you know, I don't know how you worded it, but just like, like darkest times like that summer yeah, sure, it was like the best of times it was the worst of times 2015 was just like a, a really crazy year for me because um i moved back to seattle I had this amazing experience I had this amazing love experience i had all these like festival and friend experiences and then and then in like october my grandma went back in the hospital and she had over 100 small tumors in her abdomen Jeez. surgery really couldn't do anything the chemo had failed and so 
um, we just kind of sat vigil and like watched her die for a month. Like just, and the doctor would come in and be like, ah, look at her urine and be like, ah, it's still pretty clear. That's too bad. Like essentially like if her kidneys went first, she died pretty quickly. And we were kind of hoping for that because it was just, she's dying and how fast and painless can this be? Um, and then my girlfriend broke up with me. So I was just like, well, that was probably the, the darkest time of, of my mid twenties and this whole thing. And, and at this point I'm still like, what was your mindset at like at this time? Like, man, I moved across the country. I'm coming back. Like shit's falling apart. Like, honestly, no, it started out as I moved back across the country. Shit's good. I'm going to be close to my family. I'm close to my friends. I just sold this house. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like everything's fine. Like everything's fine in the world. Um, at that point I had like, uh, split off from Jeff. I was no longer under his consultancy because I wanted to focus so much on this small satellite company, um, that, you know, is now painting houses. So it was technically a failure, but I was also still recruiting. So I was finding my own clients and, and just working under my own consultancy. So I was like, I'm fine, but my family is pretty blue collar and pretty simple. And so I remember on my grandma's deathbed, like, cause so it was good times. And then it went to bad times. And during the bad times we're sitting in this hospital room and she just wanted me to have a job so bad. And I would try to explain to my family what I was doing. I was like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. Like they did not understand what recruiting in the space industry meant. And that I owned my own consultancy and that I was, you know, working discreetly behind the scenes to help my clients poach their competitors, <laughs> employees at the executive level for Perfect satellite. And yeah. They just didn't understand it. My grandma was like, why don't you become a nurse, Brad? And I looked at these nurses and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking like, well, probably about like 80 K a year, nice flexible schedule. I'm like thinking about the perks. I'm like, Oh, but you have to care for people. You have to be nice to assholes. Like, no, I'm never going to be a nurse granny. And she's like, she even was like, why don't you be a security guard? And like, she just really thought like a good, like she's so old school, like a good solid job with benefits was more, she could not understand what I was doing. She really wanted me to take like a, I don't know, a $10 an hour job instead of pursue my entrepreneurial dream. Um, so, and honestly, I was at a pretty low point in my life and my roommate at the time, one of my roommates, I was living at this really great house in Queen Anne. Like there's five of us there all in our, uh, early twenties, mid twenties, um, all in kind of different professions, but living the Seattle life. It was a really fun household. And when my roommate, she got me a job, temp job. It was a two-day data entry job at her startup just to get me out of the house because I was a sad sack of shit at that time. And my data entry job was a lead list. And so, like, I went, I finished up on the second day. And, I like, it's a 11-person office. It's this little startup. And I turned to the CEO and I was like, hey, I noticed online you had a sales position open. I, this is pretty obviously who you need called. Like, do you want me to do that? And like, he hadn't even noticed me. And I was like, wait, you, you do that? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, actually I'm pretty well suited for this. Like you, and so I ended up getting this job at this little, uh, software startup. What's it called? Still alive? I, I'm not going to mention oh. it actually, okay. because, um, <laughs> That's fine. because if I'm going to mention anything else with that story, I, I kind of want to okay. keep some confidentiality okay. around it. Um, it, it, it was a shitty little product. And I thought it was really stupid. They were trying, they were actually using that product similar to how I am doing now with painting to build a better product. Um, so like internal resources were dedicated to a completely different and better product. But like the product I was selling was, was just like stupid. It didn't have a lot of resources behind well, it. We're talking startup though. <clears throat> Such a broad term. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk like five employees, like super grassroots or like at least like 50 plus employees. No, we're talking nine to 11 employees in an office in Pioneer Square with non-exponential growth. So simple boring business reasonable little product kind of fit a couple niches niches however you want to say it however that is said um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of fit a couple things it wasn't really competitive in a lot of other spaces that they wanted to get into and i was like yeah yeah like, your product kind of sucks and oh we're really good at this really little 
like segment of the industry. So let's go hammer it. And th- their other product ended up list. It, it, the other, I just I can't share too many yeah, details. Their other product was pretty sweet, and that ended up going on to be a moderate success. Um, like went public on a Canadian stock exchange and um, was was a unique play on an interesting market, and that that worked. But that was not what I was a part of. Anyway, that's not really why I left. Like six months later, when I left was, um, hmm, some some shit went on in that company, and <laughs> some shit went on in that company. I don't want to like throw anybody on the bus. And I left. It was like March. This is when I went back to painting because it was March, and I left this company. I got fired, and no job, no job. Um, and I was like, "Fuck you guys!" Like I am done having a boss. Like. I, I moved to Missouri to travel the world. I got stuck in Missouri. I moved back to Seattle, and I got stuck back as an employee. Like fuck you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this my way. And actually, what had happened like the previous September is a family friend's friend had asked me to paint their house, and I did kind of similar to what you're saying. I was like, well, I think this is what the price is, and they're like, oh yeah, go for it. We'll pay it cash. And so it's like in like a week, I make a few grand, and I was like, oh yeah, painting can make money, <laughs> especially when you're not paying a corporation for all the overhead, yeah. like. I could be super so. A couple of little things that like, I had made some money painting within the last six months. I had left this this job, and I really, really didn't want a boss. Like I really wanted my freedom, so I started a painting company. And and to this day, five years later, I still have this like, ugh, I went back. Like I like slipped backwards in my career. Like painting was always an avenue to entrepreneurship that we learned in college. You're never supposed to go back to painting, and I did. So, like, it's still, to this day, like, this big ego blow. Like, why the fuck am I still painting? <laughs> Fucking hate painting. Like, guys, if if, if, if anybody listening in Seattle wants their house painted, like, we'll do a really great job. Like, yeah, we'll but, post the socials and but stuff. But just like so that. you know, I don't actually, like, care. Like, I, like I'll, I'll talk to you intelligently about how to protect your home and all the different products we'll use. But, like, it bores the shit out of me at this point. I'm just, it's terrible. <laughs> but at that time, it was nice because it was, it was recreating that student painter's art experience without a brand so i had no money i took all my money and put it into one polo some marketing materials a website and some stuff and like i didn't know how i was gonna pay rent no the next money month. you had to have some money so no i had like, nothing like how did you pull it off i had nothing i had nothing i didn't know how i was gonna pay rent the next month i had no job and I had no money and all the money i had i put into marketing materials i had, I had nothing like it literally was on this lease so i was like i don't know how i'm gonna pay rent next month and this, and is, in Queen Anne? this is in queen anne unless I get somebody to give me deposits for painting work I'm going to do months from now with employees I don't have. Very similar to student painter's experience, except this is my business. It's my rent. Like, n- There's nobody backing me. There's nobody paying me minimum wage, like a salary, a stipend, nothing. It's just like I have to convince somebody that I'll paint their house. Not only that, but I have to convince them to give me a down payment months in advance for me to pay my bills. And that's kind of how my business started. Um, I went door knocking in Magnolia, and I walked around. Hey, I'm Brad with PNW House Painting. I'm paint houses in your neighborhood this summer. Can I interest you in a free estimate? Just like right back to the student painter shit. And I sold. I sold like crazy. I was like way <laughs> over 50% success rate. And I was like, wow, I'm way better salesperson than I remember. Yeah, I fucking misjudged the market. I'd gone to Missouri for three years. Seattle's blowing up. I didn't realize I was so underpriced. Like the prices oh, have been going sure. up in construction. And I don't know if you remember this, but when... My first year of student painters was 2008 to 9. You put an ad online, painting, $9 an hour, $10 an hour, whatever it was. Flocks. 
hundreds, hundreds of emails, resumes from painters with 20 years of experience. Everybody needed a job in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 2015, construction boom, booming economy in Seattle. I put up, I did the same thing. I had sold all this work. Nobody, like three, three emails from one ad. And these people, there was obviously a reason they didn't have a job. These were not viable candidates. Everybody that was competent marginally had a job. So now all of a sudden I like have all this sold work and I have no employees. And so my first year in business, I painted everything. And like student painters, it was considered a failure if you painted because you weren't managing well enough. You weren't training employees. And now here I am. Thankfully, like a somewhat competent tradesman myself, like I could, I could paint, I could fulfill my obligation. But the next year I was like, I have to hire, like I, so, and, and that's, that's the slow, I mean, to get into student, to get student, I almost called it student painters, <laughs> to get into PW house painting, my business that just turned five years old, the second year was, <clears throat> um, I have to, I have to hire employees and I have to make sure they, they stay with me. And I had a small crew of three my second year. And then what happened my second year is I started mountain climbing um, and I hurt my foot. I was in a walking cast and I had done this job um, solo before my employees started. And I was like, kind of like, um, up a creek with no paddle. Like I, I couldn't finish this job, you know, would have really annoyed this client. And I had found out about another type of business. And, and this was a Serta Pro five-star painting, wow, one-day painting. They're these nationwide franchise models of painting, and none of them have painter employees. What they do is they're basically sales and marketing engines. They're, they're, and they go out and sell the contracts for the homeowners, and they connect with subcontractors, and they hire um, subcontracted businesses, these guys that basically like to paint but don't like the business and sales aspect of it. And it's this nice like pairing and they pay a percentage of their contract to these subcontractors to fulfill their contracts. Once I found out that was possible and I'm stuck on this job I can't finish and I see a guy in a paint store with a Serta Pro shirt on and I'm like, he's obviously not an employee. He's simply wearing that shirt. I know he's a contractor. And I ask him in my like super terrible Spanish, like, hey, would you, do you need any more work? And he's also buying lead stuff, which, uh, you, you know, like <laughs> yeah. lead is it, like lead work is, is unique. You have to be a certified renovator and it's dangerous. And, and I'm in the middle of a lead job and he says, sure. So he ends up comes out and this actually, this is what, what kicked off my business is that, uh, this subcontractor of mine ended up taking that job for me and like three other jobs that second year of mine. And then my third year in business, I didn't have employees. All I had was subcontractors and it was great. We like tripled in volume. Um, Before we keep going yeah. there, I want to rewind a little bit. Yeah. I've worked at a startup that was one of, uh, I think my second or third job here in Seattle. Obviously, it was a failure. They ended up selling out, so I can relate to that. The reason I ask is that about extra this, hop? Huh? Is that extra hop? Uh-uh. Okay. Um, the reason I ask about that is because, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, like, should I work for a startup? Obviously, it's high risk, high reward. Maybe you'd go to a startup or some next freaking Zillow. You know, you're in a good spot. You're getting stock. You're making a shit ton of money. But what were some of the traits? You had to have learned something from there. Would you say you have learned something from there that's helped you to where you are today at that startup? And be honest, maybe my assumptions are wrong. No, no. And, and like... Even how shit ended with the CEO there, like very intelligent guy. And, and he told me that at one point, he's just like, just learn, just 
just observe. Just learn everything you can. Soak it up. Like you probably with so little employees. I mean, there's not an HR department. There's not an IT department. No, you're just like not... sitting across from the account. Yeah, you're like, sitting oh, with the other shit. salespeople. Exactly. Your account managers are right here, and the marketing gals here, and the devs like they're not even in the back. They're just like over on that side of the room. Standing desk. <laughs> <laughs> just coding away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was. Uh, I mean, there's freaking snacks in the fridge, and you're down Pioneer Square. It's like, oh, I'm in startup. Like, um. Yeah, no, I, I learned a, I learned a bunch there. Would I succinctly, I don't know. What I learned is I think for the businesses I've succeeded in, the one I'm succeeding in is painting. It's very easy for me to manage my cash flow. Like we are going to fulfill this contract. I'm going to get this much money, and we get a lot of money up front, and and then we have like a projected amount to we're a boring business. This startup was close to being a boring business. Like the problem they solved for small businesses was, was software, but it was also kind of boring. And it was just like every software and it was different ratios. So like my business is maybe 50 customers a year. Like if we do a hundred customers next year, we've just doubled our growth and like, I'm, I'm happy, but we have like an $8,000 average job size. Whereas this is, is reoccurring revenue. So you get somebody on monthly at, $30 a month, $40 a month, $100 a month. So just like thinking through those numbers and having the experience with a business with completely different numbers. Like it's a much smaller transaction size, but it's recurring revenue. How many do you need? And also like how much money were they bringing in? Like they brought in millions to support this dev and and us, like this little this little team, this like nine person team. And so for me to think like I literally started PNW House Painting at like $1,500. I had, I had like nothing left. And there, there's like, there's this, there's this, um, like Gary V talks about this a lot. Gary V is awesome, but he talks about a lot about this, um, like this romanticization of 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 entrepreneurship that's in this like decade. It's like, oh, entrepreneurs are so great, and like most people are thinking software entrepreneurs are thinking like Bezos or they're thinking Zuckerberg or it's like I have one like electronic idea and it just goes out to millions and it's a wild success and now I'm a billionaire. But there are software startups that are in the whole spectrum from they crash and burn, they fail, they they co they exist. As like a boring business with like mm, with normal growth, like just just like okay growth, they're not exponential. And and then there's also businesses like mine, like painting, that are still completely valid businesses, but they're pretty boring. Like they're not this like romantic entrepreneurship thing. And so I think that what I learned there is that there are a lot of different ways to approach entrepreneurship, and it's it's heavily romanticized to be in a startup. It's also romanticized to have a startup, but then you're taking on all this investment money. You're diluting your own percentage. You may not even have a, a viable business. Like, is your, is your revenue ever going to outpace the amount of like investment you've brought in? Like, can you ever pay this back? Hey, I don't know. So that's not super succinct, but no. But it's still good experience or good things for other people to hear that you know maybe don't know what a startup is or never had that experience because it. You know, it is definitely a grassroots thing. And then you look at just your your story so far in general. I mean, you're definitely not an eight to five guy, right? You're not clocking in, clocking out. You've kind of just had a, a mess of learning experiences through different places, different jobs. And you've been able to mold that into what you know best to, you know, we'll talk about your future and what that entails here in a minute. But I think that's important because, you know, everyone wants to have the perfect job all the freaking time. I know that's how I was. Maybe that's not everybody, but I was like, man... You know, I want to be the sports reporter on ESPN. Like, I can only accept excellence, right? And that's the only way I can get there. And going outside of journalism showed me, like, even what I was thinking, like, I could do above and beyond what I was thinking. There's more opportunities out there. But also, I need to start thinking 
broader, right? Because if you narrow your focus so much, sometimes you limit yourself and you're not going to get those learning experiences that help you grow wide. And like, you know, the company I work for, I love it. It's a great product. I work at Smartsheet now, by the way. Yep. Killing it. But like, I'm one of the top guys there now and I am there to use my skills that I've already learned to be successful, right? I don't learn a lot of broad new skills. They're just like, hey, we hired you because you have experience. Now we need you to go and kick ass. Where as a startup, it was like, let's work together. Let's figure things out. Let's put these long hour sessions and let's have some drinks and talk about the fantasy of what this could turn into. And like, I think that is so important because I wouldn't even know how to sell Smartsheet if I didn't have those experiences. So that's the reason I asked that question. And we'll take a break for a refill real quick. Heck yeah. Uh, I like to do two rounds. No, dude. Um, I'd, uh, where the hell was it? Oh, uh, Dallas. I'm at a cigar lounge, mm-hmm. and I'm in the whiskey and smoking cigars now, and, you know, feel like I'm fancy. But uh, I asked him about the cubes. I was like, man, this is the perfect cube. Yeah. And he's like, I was like, do you guys house make these? He's like, oh, no, no, no. We have to get it for this company because it's a specific cube with no air in it. Right. And, I don't. I had three old fashions, and the sucker was like, "Dang, they're barely melted." Right. I was like, that and "It's is just insane. perfectly clear. It's just like way more beautiful than with all that, like that white and the bubbles all throughout it." And you have to like half freeze it, suck the air out, and refreeze it, and then you divide the block with saws. You like band saw this this freaking giant queue of ice out, and then you ship it in a refrigerated trucks to restaurants that are willing to upsell their their mixed cocktail or their drinks. Like, hey, you want whiskey? Okay, great. We'll put our house ice in. Or for $3 more, you can upsell to this cube. It's a great little business. <laughs> and Seattle's got shitty ice cubes. So if anybody wants to start a fucking ice cube business, I've considered it and I don't if have time. there's money here. No, yeah. there is money here. There is money. If you're one of those like younger guys or you don't have any debt, like, fucking A, and you, and you enjoy this, like, fucking make some perfectly crystal clear ice cubes and sell it to all the restaurants in Seattle once COVID stops. Like, I'm thinking of a cigar lounge. Like, there's one cigar lounge and that's... I mean, there's a couple, but they're all casinos. There's one in Snoqualmie, which is forever away. There's uh-huh. one in Fife, which is forever Seattle away. Seattle Cigar Lounge would be but sick. There's nothing downtown. I enjoy when I go to Dallas and, like, you know, if you're the strip club guy or the clubbing guy, like, there's that type of vibe, of course, in every city. But I like to, like, cool, we hit a bar. It's closing time. I have a few of us. We don't want to, like, technically close out. If you have a cigar lounge or a hookah lounge that stays open late and you're just sip, sipping on whiskey and, like, that chill vibe... Or maybe the bar is just too crazy. There's lines and you can't get in. You're like, dude, do you want to sit in this fucking line for an hour? Or do you want to go hit the cigar lounge, right? So I like that kind of vibe. And Seattle definitely doesn't have it. Um, so that's an idea. Uh, also thinking there's a smoothie place in Bellevue called Tropical Smoothie. Best fucking smoothie I've ever had in my life. Really? I'm a big smoothie guy. There's Tropical Smoothie. And I live in, yeah, it's, it's a franchise. Okay. And I live on Alki and there's nothing like that here. Yeah. Dude. You know how active this community is? There's like old guys doing pull-ups on trees and shit. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm sitting here watching football. I gotta get my shit together. But like people come down here and just there's foot traffic forever. The only thing close is a fit bar up on California, which is up in the neighborhood. And it's only open like Monday through Friday, like three to five, like very short windows. And every time it's open, slammed. I was like, dude, if you could get a nice waterfront property with like a pull-up doors and just have people coming in and out of there. They serve like or, nice healthy wraps, you know, like little sandwiches, pita bread stuff, like definitely some future potential ideas. But so that's one thing that I think I've 
I would I have learned from observation through everything is that most entrepreneurially minded people have more ideas than they have time. Like they're they're willing to just give away their ideas because it's like, hey, you want that? Go do it, please. I'll even help you. Like I don't even need ownership. Just go do it. Just make something of it. I, I feel like that. Like and I I was just venting to some friends recently in this uh, like this business growth group I'm in. And like, God, so many people I'll, I'll complain about my business, and this is one reason I've sought out entrepreneur groups as. Uh, as now, like now, I, I seek out entrepreneur groups because you get it. But there's certain friends I bring up my problems, and it's so different. They're really they're an eight to fiver. It's an eight to fiver. Like they just don't have the responsibility or the the dread that comes with some decisions. And like we have Not a lot. Shit on all the no, 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 no. Like but... actually, we have a lot in common. I can learn so much from about business through their lens with their bigger businesses that they're working for. But often they just don't get where I'm coming from. And I meet with other entrepreneurs, and it doesn't matter if they're in the same industry. They get it. And I was just venting this recently is like, I'll share sometimes about my business. Sometimes even like the good stuff about my business. I'm just sharing because you asked. And now all of a sudden you're giving me business ideas. Like this is a fucking barbecue. Like I wasn't planning to be grilled with your shitty business ideas about my business. Like, and the thing I was venting was that usually when people want to give you a business idea about your business, that's functioning and operating. They want to give you a marketing tactic is, is the way I think about it. It's like, Oh, have you tried doing this? No, I haven't. It's not because I don't think it doesn't work. It's because I don't have time to do it. And it's always a balance and a budget of my time versus reward. And and that's just like my constant day. Like I am, I could be on 80 hours a week. I could be on, you know, whatever I want. Like that sounds really nice, but I'm not an idiot because I haven't thought about it. I'm just like, you want to do it for me? Like you want to make an ROI on it? Like I, I can't pay you unless your results are more than that. And so that's my little vent is I feel like a lot of people, like if you're, if you're an employee and you're sharing with your entrepreneur friend, a great business idea, just think, is it like, are you actually telling them to do more work with an unknown reward? Because that's not a very good business idea. Like that's what we're dealing with daily is like, we go start a cigar bar or a smoothie bar, or like a, a ice cube distribution business for high end cocktails in Seattle. Like there's so many ideas. We don't have time to implement them all. And if you just give us one more idea that has a questionable implementation, like that's not necessarily a good business idea. It's like someone who's never good at a hobby but has 30 of them, right? It's like, well, if you actually spend some time on one, you might be okay at it. Yeah, and I also don't <laughs> want to shit on anybody because like, fucking A, if you got an idea, go for it. But it's, it's sometimes annoying just not I to feel it understood. it comes from entrepreneurs want each other to succeed because not a lot of people do. And yeah. we know it's hard, right? So it's like, damn, you're struggling, you're venting, like what can I do to help? Or maybe I'm trying to take some capital over the head. Like, I don't know what it is, but it, it's good to have those conversations. I don't have a group like that, so I'm curious. Like you, you say you keep seeking that. Is it just to see what other people are doing, what's keeping them going, what's getting them successful? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's been huge for me, actually. So um, Seattle Startup Week, really an amazing program. Um, I think Techstar sponsors that also. For a while, Chase Bank was sponsoring it. There's some really fucking good food and like swag. Uh, it's been okay. You're that guy. <laughs> no, it, it was great. It was like free for years. Um, I've gone to Seattle Startup Week the last five years in a row, I think. Um, and I don't know if they're even doing it this year. I haven't seen anything. Um, if they do, it's probably some stupid virtual option. Like, I'm just really not a fan of the COVID life. Nothing is a similar experience. Like, I don't care how hard you're trying. Like, a Zoom meeting is not a real holiday party. Like, that is not fun. I don't know. Um, Seattle Startup Week is amazing because it is people that are interested. Have you been? No. I, my, my old colleagues at the startup were all about that stuff when they were involved. Oh, man. And I love free food. Yeah, Seattle cool. Startup Week is great food. It but it was like, it was entrepreneurs, people who wanted, who were interested in that. And so I would go to Seattle Startup Week and I, that's where I met other entrepreneurs. And this, my buddy Ryan, who um, 
if you're continuing these business episodes, you should have Ryan on. Cause give me all the referrals you got. Heck man. yeah. So Ryan runs a, um, Bucha Belly Kombucha it is basically like the milkman of kombucha. They deliver seven fresh bottles of kombucha. This has been brewed and bottled two days before to your door every Sunday. So it's like the milkman of kombucha. You have, it's, it's, it's way higher count of, uh, probiotics than anything in the store because I won't get into his whole sales pitch, but this guy, I met him at Seattle startup. We got a completely different startup. It was a really awesome startup. I actually used like, uh, machine learning on Instagram data to like decide like, Hey, so guess what? You're a whiskey company or let's just say you're, um, you're like Tito's vodka and you want to make an Instagram post and you don't know if you should hashtag lime or lemon. Like they had the data and the machine learning behind it to know how to help like large corporations optimize their Instagram posts and then Instagram shut off their API. So we had this like awesome freaking business. His, his customers were, um, anyway, it was cool. It just got killed. And so we ended up starting this kombucha business. It was like, it's like serial entrepreneur has never had a real job in his life. Never had to make a resume in his real life. Just really super intelligent guy. Awesome. And we met at first, the first time I went to startup week, we met at like the, the Friday, like networking party and went out for drinks and then took the same bus home. And it was like, shit, we live like three blocks to each other. So we had this habit of going to the same coffee shop. It's like, we have completely different industries, but just like that, like, and I'm, I'm articulating this in this conversation, but like having another entrepreneur to just do my computer work with in a coffee shop regularly, it's like, Hey, what do you think about this? Cause sometimes when you're an entrepreneur, you're just so alone. You're just in a People vacuum. <laughs> well, they think you're crazy, but you also think you're crazy. And you're like, well, shit. And then you get all up in your head. And just like just like when you're in an office and you can say, hey, what do you think about this idea, Joe? Oh, you know, that sucks. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll do it this way. Yeah, that's better. You know, like just to have that person that can say, you know, that sucks. Or, hey, have you thought about this? Can you look at this? Like I learned so much from Ryan. And just like I grooved by having someone to rebound off of. Um, that was really cool. that's important through COVID, you know some of the top people and, and the people that I like to learn from in the office, I go to their desk and I shoot shit. Yes. Now there's no office. So like I have to go out of my way to try to keep those connections. And like just the other day I had to call with a colleague and he was, you know, I was trying to gain some things from him, but he was like, I'm gaining everything from you. Sorry. I was like, sure. But me telling you these things and the things I'm good at, it's kind of reminding me what I'm good at and what I need to keep doing. Yeah. And just having that personal connection. I was like, shit, man, I got to do this more. Yeah, and I like how COVID has made it a little bit more, because I guess we're millennials, and Gen Z might be a little bit uh, more prone to this, but just like the random FaceTime. Like before, my friends would FaceTime, it was like, that an accident? And now it's like a random FaceTime is actually a nice opportunity for connection to like maintain those relationships through COVID. It's like, it's not weird. Just fucking FaceTime people. Like, yeah. for, don't text them, just FaceTime. It's cool. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. I was never a FaceTimer until COVID. Yeah. Now I'm FaceTiming everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it works. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about doing handwritten notes to all of my longtime friends, family members that have really just, like, helped me through life because no one does that anymore. And just like, hey, this is, like, you know, where I've been the past, you know, it's kind of like you. Heck I haven't talked yeah. to you in forever. No one knows except what social media provides. And, like, this is what I'm doing, you know, like, I want you to know, like, I consider you a true friend and a relationship, and I want to keep that going. Like, don't be afraid to reach out, because where I'm from, small town, there's a lot of suicide going on and just a lot of depression with, you know, COVID and just not a lot of personal reactions. And a quote stuck out to me, either Gary Vee or, like, I was reading a book, and it was, like, a depressed person is a phone call away. Yeah. Right? Because they don't have that in them to make that phone call. And I'm like, man... <clears throat> I'm an extrovert, like, I'll be fine. I'm not very really a depressed person. I usually go seek attention or, like, seek something going on. And to be honest, that's why this podcast is a perfect time right now during COVID. I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, 
I'm pretty good at my job. I don't have to overly work. Like, I need something else going on. I, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll start jujitsu again. Or and it's like, well, none of that's really going on right now. So I was like, this is a perfect time to have my podcast, have guests in, get a little schedule going, and give me, you know, give me something outside going on. And sorry, just to kind of stray away in the subject, no. but for me, I've definitely had to like change up my routines a little bit and change up the way I'm doing things through COVID. I'm, you know, doing more things um, on a morning and evening schedule to like get my body going and like, you know, this is my work at home station. I have th- three monitors. I have that big 82 inch TV in the front room. So like, I'm staring at screens all day. I had to get blue light, the Felix gray glasses. Yeah, yeah. Highly recommend those. I thought those were a joke at first until I found myself because it's getting dark, like getting migraines by 3 yep. p.m. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yep. So definitely recommend those. But I definitely am having to change my routines and my lifestyle up because of COVID. Do you feel like you're doing anything yourself or some routines that are helping you pump through it? Or are you just that entrepreneur guy that's like, I'm just going through it? Um, somewhere in the middle. So actually because I've been that entrepreneur guy working at home, like for the longest time, I could see my desk from my bed. I lived in a studio for years in Seattle. Literally, when I'm working, I can see my bed. It's like always, it's like, come take a nap. Come yeah. take a nap. And and so then people are like, oh, Brad, how are you doing? I'm like, this is what I've done for the last three years, people. Like, I am always working at home. Honestly, I am so fucking happy you're all off the road because I have no traffic anymore. That's how COVID hit me. I was like, nothing actually changed for me except there was less traffic and my, my commute times, my commute being when I'm going to appointments and I make a random appointment, it's like, well, I don't have to account for 15 extra minutes there. I'm just blowing through stuff. And so it, it, I'm not the best because I've never had a regular commute. I've, if I get trapped in rush hours, cause I made a mistake in my scheduling, like, uh, and I actually have a lot more space now. So it's just been a lot nicer. Actually. COVID has been great for me. And you own a home now, right? Yeah. So I just bought a house this year. Yeah. Congrats to that. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it was a a hard-fought battle. So, um, you know, I came back to Seattle and I told myself, stupidly, I sold my $75,000 house for a little over $100,000. Not a whole lot, but I was like, sweet, real estate investor. And then I came back to Seattle. I was like, oh, 2015. This is so stupid in hindsight. I was like, oh, we're in like a bubble. Like, hey, the prices are going to go back down. Uh, I'm just going to wait. And just kept going up. It's just kept blowing up, blowing up, and blowing up, and finally I'm like, "Fuck me!" Like I have to buy, I have to buy in Seattle, um, and and so I went into a bank two years ago, two years ago, 2018. I went to a bank. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna get a mortgage soon. Like I need to know exactly." This is another thing. Like I feel like this is not taught a lot in entrepreneurship because either entrepreneurship is learned through like a family that knows successful entrepreneurship and has can like kind of help finance you a little bit, or it's known through like that romanticized tech startup where you go get investor money. There's like a middle ground. Like you, you scrap by you, you bootstrap and you use bank debt and banks will loan. The SBA will loan to you at reasonable rates. Um, when you have real revenue It's boring and nobody talks about that. And it's usually not for exponential growth companies, but there's real capital out there that you can get. The same thing with mortgages. Like as a self-employed individual, I was like, I know I have different constraints than a W-2 employee. So like, what's it going to take for me to get a mortgage? I'm going to buy something here in Seattle. And I was like, I have to average my last, that's what I've always known. I have to average the last two years of income. And this lady tells me, she's like, no, actually, when did you start your business? I actually started a year prior to operations because I formed that LLC as New Space Farm. She said, well, if your business has been in business for five years, you only have to use last year's tax return. I'm like, what? 
blew my mind. I was like, great. So I can maximize next year's income. And, and like, if you guys don't know this as an entrepreneur, like you can alter your taxes. Like you, everyone's like all super pissed about Trump paying $750. I'm like, well, that's fucking normal. Like, uh, I don't like the guy. Just say that. It's probably not a political, uh, probably not a political podcast. I mean, that's, that's, I'm just neutral. I'm just neutral. I'm a moderate, but, um, but like it's normal as an entrepreneur to manipulate your taxes. And so I did the opposite. In 2019, I overreported my income legally, but I paid additional taxes in 2019 to increase my mortgage capacity so I could buy in the Puget Sound because purchasing a house here is a business proposition to me. So in 2019, one thing I did, I report on a cash basis. So if you're not reporting on a you report on a cash basis, whatever cash comes in in your, your reporting period. And my reporting period is the calendar year. So December, we have commercial checks coming in. And I was like, I called my subcontractor and I said, hey, I'm going to pay you this in January. Do you mind? He said, no. I said, great. So I had like a $30,000 check coming in and a $20,000 check coming out. I delayed that $20,000 check until January that overreported my income by $20,000 in 2019. That means that I have an additional $20,000 that is now spread out over 12 months to my DTI that I mean, these are all like little acronyms for the lending world, but essentially it started out with me going into a bank, learning that I could use one year of tax return when my business turned five years old. That was May 21st, 2020. Be five years old from the date of my filing of LLC. So I knew this year I was buying a house. I knew it. In 2019, I knew I was over-reporting my income. I was going to pay thousands extra in taxes, but I was going to get a hundred thousand more in mortgage capacity. And the, and like that's all fine. That's that's me tooting my horn, being like, oh, I, I listened to the bank and I, <laughs> I I scrapped by. But what I what I really will toot my horn for is is that I this year when COVID hit, immediately I was like, fuck, this is going to fuck me over. Like, you know, banks will lend to you in a growing environment. Hey, the business is like, the whole country's going great. We're in a boom. Like you can't go wrong. We'll lend you money. COVID hits. I'm like, they're not going to fucking lend me money. They're not going to. And my whole goal was to have a great killer 2020, make my down payment and then go buy a house. Now, like the end of the year shop COVID hit. And I was like, I have to shop now. They're going to cut me off. I'm not going to get a house. I'm not going to get a house for years. I've been manipulating this whole scenario to get a house now. And I have to do it now. And so I just went out and Actually, shit was keeps rising. The future sounds crazy. Nobody wants to list their house and have people come through their house with COVID. And everybody's now working from home and they want, like, you've got this two bedroom so you can have a studio here. There's a lot of people like me that were living in studios. Like, literally, like, just 300 square feet. Your bedroom is next to... Yeah. It was a weird studio, though, because it had my my bedroom with my bed and my TV. And it had, like, this little half-assed wall. That had like two little doors on it to make it feel separated, and then my kitchen. Yeah. And it was like 550 square feet though, so it wasn't too small. Yeah. That, that's a decent sized yeah. studio. Like it's a good studio. I had, the last the studio I had before my house was a uh, 350 square feet, and it was it was listed at 500 square feet. And I get in, and I was like, I told the the listing agent or the property manager, whoever she was, I was like, you know this because I have a <laughs> for for painting estimates, I have a laser measuring device, and I like clicked the two dimensions. It was a rectangle, and I was like this is 350 square feet. And she's like, Oh really? <laughs> and I was like, Oh fuck. It's still a good location. And I mean, okay, I'm going to get it. But I, she didn't offer me a discount or anything, but I was like, this is anyway, super small. But a lot of people in COVID have been like, this sucks. Like a studio is fine. If you go to work and you have free food at work and you are always out with your friends after you're work, there. you're never there. You're sleeping there. And then you're like, well crap, my kids are here. If you're, if you have, 
oh, my wife is working from home now. Like so many people are having like such a compress, like, so the demand for house purchasing went up, the supply went down and I'm like, they're going to cut me off. And so I'm out in that environment and I lost a couple houses. I, I bid on a couple and lost them like same day. Like I drive there the moment it lists, I put an offer in that expires that night and I fucking lose it. And it was really an emotional process. And I finally ended up getting this house and I'm currently this in the is in shoreline. shoreline. And so I had to go like, I'm one forty seventh. I'm two blocks outside Seattle city limits. I couldn't quite afford Seattle. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I got this house, but it, it is, I have an enormous shop with a loft above the shop that I'm renovating into an apartment. I'm renting out the rooms individually in the house to cover my mortgage. And I'm currently painting it myself, which honestly kind of sucks. Like I can't wait to the point where I like, <laughs> like, Hey, actually, like I'm doing it because I can, and I really the next one I'm not painting. The next house I get I'm not painting. I'll go on a quick tangent here. Yeah, please. You know I I only did the painting for a couple of years, and to be honest, I was lucky. I think I only painted like three houses. Like, I I made my my homies paint, and one of my best friends became like my top painter. Which my second year I could have him go out and do a lot of the work while I was just like his manager and you know we didn't do as well in sales that year it's like it seemed like that whole first year i painted all the places that needed to paint to the second year in 2011 was, just, was that that was your last year that yeah. was when student painters finally filed yeah. bankruptcy yeah it was a I tough a, year for me i have a whole macroeconomic perspective on that but that was like the roughest time for trades it was 2011 yeah. i mean it was like the first year everyone was down for a paint job and i had i was going like an hour outside of missoula to try to get paint jobs yeah and we couldn't get anything because i wanted to pay my friend more money i was like dude last year i did this much you can't tell me this next year i'm not going to do more and i'm just going to have you do my job and i'll be the guy that's like low-key just handling stuff so you know i just didn't make as much profit but i never really had to paint a lot of jobs but at that point it's like once you do something for so long or you're a part of something, your goal is usually like, I don't want to do this unless it's like my own. And it's funny that even in your place where you're like, it's my own house, but I still don't want to do it. It brings me back to changing pipe. Do you know what changing pipe is? No. So this might be educational for a lot of listeners because, you know, I grew up with this. This is normal for me, but a lot of people is like, what, what do you mean changing pipe? So <clears throat> the biggest probably business in Montana, Wyoming, where there's nobody in lots of land is farming. And to hey your crops are making a lot of money, you're putting cows on there to feed, and then you're selling the cows and butchering them for a lot of money for all the beef. But you gotta have the grass green. Well, it doesn't naturally stay green in Montana and Wyoming like it does here in Washington because there's no fucking rain, right? So you're literally putting sprinkler pipes out there. And if you're lucky, you have the motorized ones where you know before school or before football practice, you go move it, turn the sprayers on. Sometimes the sprocket blows. You're like, oh shit. Like you got to turn it off and like restart, put a new sprayer head on there and then get it going. But I grew up with hand lines where you don't have the big motor in it. It's like, cool. I have 150 pipes. You know, each pipe's probably like 20 pounds, but it's long and it's fucking awkward to carry. And I have to go turn the water off, go to the end and start pulling all the pipes one by one, all 150, turn it just enough water on so it stays up or they'll all flop over. And then you're screwed because you got to go turn them all over again. And then once it's done, you cap it off and it starts spinning. And I would have like four or five of those in each property. So I grew up, like, had my job of haying the hay fields where you're in the tractor, you're cutting the hay, you're raking the hay, and you're bailing the hay. Which, dude, I was working probably 10 to 12 hours. Like, my friends would be like, what, what was it like growing up in Montana, Wyoming? What, what did you do for fun? I was like, I worked. But at the time, I didn't know any better. That's, that's how I grew up. Like, I worked when the sun came up because we had to get shit done. And we couldn't quit till the sun went down because we had to get shit done. Like, you're working on God's timeline. There was no clock in, clock out. But before that job, I had to do the pipe. 
right? I had to make sure everything was watered and then you, you did your work and then when it was cool at the end of the day, you'd go change pipe again. And I had been doing this for years and years and making pretty good money, getting paid under the table, which, you know, at the time was good. And, you know, as a young kid, you know, I started working probably at 11 when I could reach the pedal to the tractor. I'm a pretty short kid, so it took a little while. Um, but work did that until college. And it's like, you know, you make a few uh, thousand dollars as a kid in Montana. It's like, damn, I'm making good money. Like, nobody else is making that kind of money. Obviously, it's slave labor, and I'm just working crazy hours for nothing. But I, even in college again, after the painting business, it sucked. I was like, shit, I need another job. I was working the uh, equipment room, which was cool because I got to hang out with all the football players and everything and was a part of the equipment room, got some free swag. But they paid me $8 an hour. That wasn't enough. So I did the changing pipe for rich people in Missoula because they paid really well and they give you their four-wheelers and you go mob around and change the pipe. And I remember one day driving in the sunset and I was like, I want to fucking quit tomorrow and I'm never changing pipe again unless it's my own pipe. But now here I am, like, shit, if I bought some land right now, would I really change pipe on that? Like, right. no, nah, dude, I'd pay someone else. But I might do it one day just to be like, ah, I'm changing my own pipe. Right. So that's why I bring that up, because it's funny, because even you're like, fuck, I don't even want to paint my own house. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's like you'd rather pay someone to do it. Yeah. And it's free when you do it almost. And I've painted a couple, like, old painting contractors either they had a very successful painting business or they went on to something else but they'll have and i'm like kind of like why are you are you having me paint and they're like well because i'm past that <laughs> yeah. there's no fucking way of painting my house like up and they're like and they'll tell me like i probably do it better than you and i'm gonna watch you but like there's no way i'm doing it and i'm like okay goals goals i get it i get it uh that's good yeah and that, honestly that's probably like the the hard work that you got instilled in you from 11 on is what had you succeed. I don't know if this got cut out earlier when we weren't recording, but like there was like five or six managers hired in Missoula and we have like a 50% average. We had a 50% average attrition rate in student painters, but you were the only manager in Missoula and you're also a Mexico award winner. Like, so you fucking beat them all out. It's like, it's like the, the fucking hyena cub that eats its siblings. And it's like, I am, I will succeed. And I feel like I'm a soft spoken guy, like not too aggressive. You know, I'm kind of a shit talker and that's just my natural thing. But you know, even when I think of like having kids one day and it's like, you work so hard and you're like, you, you know, I haven't had a kid, but I, you know, the story, like you have the kid, you fall in love with it. You're like, I got to give this kid everything. Yeah. And then you see those people that are like entrepreneurs. They've come ranks to riches. And then their kids are just shitheads because they've never known how to go change pipe or have to grind it out there. So <laughs> it's like, as I get older and I think about having kids, I'm like, man, how am I going to fucking manage this? And like, how do I actually teach them this real world stuff? I even was thinking like, I need to get them to do door to door sales in high school. Like, I want to teach them to do some fucking door to door. I want to tell them to get the nose in their face, like going out trying to sell some paint jobs or something. Yeah. I like Warren Buffett's uh, style with that with his kids because it's like he has unlimited resources, essentially. And he doesn't, he's not like, oh, you don't just get billions and get the, like, what if his son's is a farmer? Like, <laughs> like a large scale farmer. Like, I think he's a pretty freaking successful farm. But it was kind of like, figure out what you want to do and then I'll support it. And it, and I really like that style because it is interesting coming from nothing and then assuming success later in life and being like, my kids will have a different opportunity than Especially I will. Especially what the future is going to hold. Like now with COVID, everything's advancing so far. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I do want to uh, back up for a second because yep. I, I made this mental note of, I think this is probably a pretty male-centric podcast or will be, but I will say. Who knows, but I'm assuming in, so. <laughs> in Student Painters, this is a unique thing uh, like i've always thought about is that the the female managers 
that the, all the award winners are females. And this is really interesting because in a trade, in painting, it was not about painting. It was about running a business. And so in hindsight, it's like, why did the girls out, the, the top girls outpace the top guys? Well, probably because shit went wrong. And guys would often be like, shit went wrong. I'm going to pick up a paintbrush. I'm going <laughs> to grab that ladder. I'm going to get this shit done. Whereas the girls would be like, I ain't fucking touching that. And then they would go hire better people. They'd manage better. They'd do something better from like one step back. And so I felt like that may, like I try to, I always try to remember that because I still am caught by my own tendency to step in and do it myself. And that's life lessons that you could take in every business moving forward. I'm just painting my own house right now. I'm like, <laughs> why? Why? I have a whole crew to do it. Like, why didn't, why? And they even told me like, oh, Brad, you know, it's winter. Like, we don't have a whole lot of work. Like, we'll just come over and help you. I'm like, no, I don't know what that's going to cost me. I don't. I don't know if that's going to be considered a favor if I pay you a little bit. So I'm just going to get it done my fucking self because I don't know. I don't. I want to save up my favors, you know? Like, um, maybe I'll miss a bit of job next year. I'll be like, hey, guys, you got to help me yeah. out. Like, do I want to pull that favor on my own house? No, I'm going to paint my own house. And I'm like, hey, why am I painting my own house? Like, this is literally so many hours. And, and this is the thing. Every time I'm painting. So where I'm at currently in my business is I don't paint a lot. And whenever I'm painting... It's so obvious that I'm not doing something to grow the business. It's like you got to cut a straight line for hours. You got to like, and you got to like, just it's just you're constantly physically moving. And some of it's zen, and some of it's like nice. Like it's like, oh man, if I could just paint, like this is kind of a nice job. I just <laughs> like shit looks good at the end of the day. Like I feel good. Like I'm tired. Like no, nothing's getting done in the business. And that's how I feel. Like I'm still selling. I'm I'm still selling most of our jobs. And I'm like, no. I have to stop selling. If I can't scale sales, if I can't hire sales, then this business is really just me being self-employed as a salesperson. So now that you've changed the contracting style, like what, what what's the biggest thing you're spending your time on with your painting business now that it's successful, you're able to use that money to buy a house? Like obviously it's a lot better than you scrounging out, not having anybody painting and just painting yourself. Um. It, so yeah, I stopped painting, but now I'm still fully... so. Robert Kiyosaki, again, his second book after Rich Dad, Poor Dad is Cashflow Quadrant, which is um, basically an extension of that first book. And Kiyosaki, if you follow him on social media, is a little dated. Uh, his current, like... Yeah, I mean, his is nice to read, and it gives me knowledge, but it's not something that I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Honestly, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is, like, one of the best fucking books you can read as a, a founding a entrepreneur. Times, but I don't but, know. I feel like that's, like... Sales 101, like, you gotta learn some shit. No, it's, just... it's like money 101. It's like what yeah. they don't teach you in school. It's it's like... That's why I think I liked it at the time, because, like, coming out of Montana, I'm a farm boy. No one's told me about money or finances or shit, and then reading that, it's I was like, like oh, oh, you have a big house, you have a nice car, you're rich. No, you have huge expenses. <laughs> like, how do you make that make you money? Um, it, it stuff's really great, and Cashflow Quadrant, second book's really great. Um, and the whole point of that is that the Cashflow Quadrant is essentially, like, employee... You make a lot of things into quadrants. Employee, self-employed, business owner, investor. And so I have moved into the self-employment, but I know very consciously that I'm not quite a business owner because one of the ways he differentiates self-employed to business owner is if you're a true business owner, you own the business, you could leave for a year plus and come back to a better business. I literally can't leave my business. So I have employed myself in my business. I have like a... a a higher freedom level than most employees, but I'm still fully employed by this system I've created. And until I create better systems and hire better people, 
I don't actually own a business. Like I'm like, sure on paper, I own a business, but I don't consider myself a business owner. I'm self-employed. And that to me is like a huge ego blow. It's like, I stopped painting at one point. Why have I not found out a way to get out of sales? So what, once I get out of sales, then I'll basically be a business owner. I could like check finances, help with marketing. You know, there's always something to grow out of, but at some point you're a true business owner. And then to be like a real investor is you just own partial shares in businesses, but it's a progression. And, and it's, it's very conscious to me that I am a self-employed individual. So I do. where do you want to be now? What, what's the next step? The next step is to exit PW house painting. Um, whether that is completely opt uh, completely optimized, I am creating revenue every year for myself with with less than four hours a week. Going back to Tim Ferriss, like, like I literally just touch upon the business to make sure that checks are going where they should. Like I'm a true business owner, um, or I sell it. I'm gone from it. Like I want a successful exit, even if it's modest, from P and W house painting. Now that you bought the house, how much did you buy for? Is that six hundred and seven? That's pretty freaking good, right outside the city limits. I mean, yeah, with a twelve hundred square foot shop. Yeah, like and you have a rock climbing wall in there. Inside the shop, yeah. Yeah, cool. that's crazy. You're renting it out, so that could be some lucrative income. Is there an industry or something that you have that's piqued your interest? Is it going right back into space, or is there something else that you feel is like a short term gap, or you just have no clue? You're just like, I gotta get the fuck out of this. Painting makes me my cash flow. Real estate, I feel like, back to Kiyosaki, is a securement of wealth, and and his his also his game of like cash is um the cash flow game, like to get out of the rat race. When your when your passive income can exceed your expenses, you're free. That's well, great. Multiple streams of revenue, right? You have to have multiple streams. I mean, I, I'm fully aware of that. You know, I don't have multiple streams. Like I do some investing in stock. I have my job, which. You know, we make fun of the eight to five, but technically, no. It's one of the best things five. you can do as an entrepreneur is to right. maintain your eight to five, especially yeah. when it's in a tech center in a tech industry. Like, exactly. why get rid of your eight to five? Like, you have I'm, w I'm good enough at it. It's not an eight to five, but technically, heck yeah, man. Five, right? I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> and the podcast, like, you know, this is more of a hobby, and I've told my listeners, like, I'm not here to make money, but it could turn into that. So it's like doing things I think that you have passion behind. So the reason I ask you this question. Is like I see your social media. You're doing the the rock climbing. You're you're like peaking massive mountains and doing these things. Is that just something that you randomly like started mountain climbing and you're an extremist? Was like I want to start getting into this or where the hell did how did you get so like you know I'm a big hobby guy. I grew up snowboarding and skiing because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. If you're not doing that, what the hell are you doing? Right. And that's to some people's kind of extreme. But like I'm not out there peaking the mountains you're doing and doing these extravagant things. So. Do you feel like because you're working so hard and you're still self-employed, you're having to spend this time doing these crazy things? Is it something that you've always enjoyed and you've taken it to the next level? Yeah, it's um, something I've always enjoyed and I'm taking it to the next level. Uh, I mean, since I moved to Missouri on a whim and I didn't have enough money to continue traveling the world, like uh, I took, actually it was out of startup week. I think it may have been my first startup week here in Seattle. I went to a they were doing it at the Google campus, but it was on grit and resilience. Angela Duckworth wrote a book on grit, um, and she was hired to basically solve the problem of why certain West Point graduates succeed or they fail. They never, like, throughout all the years, West Point being this military academy, they could never figure out, like, is it SAT scores? Is it, is it extracurriculars? Like, we don't know how to predict if someone's going to succeed or fail, and it was a high failure rate. And she ended up creating this... Uh, 
this metric called grit is it, it, it is essentially like how your stick it to it niffs like how how do you just stay Sean in it? Is my favorite version of grit yeah so grit <laughs> it, and she was able to quantify it and base her whole like i don't think her whole career is around it but like she's she's wrote quite a bit on it angela duckworth i think has a a ted talk and then her book on grit and resilience and so i went to this grit and resilience talk and i took the grit test before and this was after my grandmother died and and i was pretty down i was like an employee again and just like felt failed and sad and i took this test and like always used to being kind of the shit like i felt like my ego was like i'm cool i'm a good guy i'm like good at what i do i like a really low grit score like really low (laughs) honestly and and the question that stood out to me and i recently retook it and, and was like that question wasn't worded the way I remember it, memory. But my, the way I remember it, memory is something about, like, is this is this really like you or not like you? And it was something about when was the last time you had a goal that took you more than two years? I thought everything I've done that I've been proud of, six months to eighteen months, and like some things I was really proud of, but nothing that I've ever dedicated more than two years to. And it made me think, like, wow, I've been really juvenile in my goals. I've been really juvenile in my aspirations. If I haven't been working for years towards something. Have I even been set my sights high enough? And that really affected me. And I got, and I, I won't get into the whole reason I got into mountain climbing, but I got into mountain climbing for a pretty specific purpose. And, and I feel like it has to be. It's an extra, it's like, who the hell just is like, yeah, dude, I'm going to just fucking mountain climb. Yeah. No, I had a, I had a very, very personal reason to get into mountain climbing. And, and it may be outside the context of, of, of this, but one of the really unique things about looking up Everest, like to climb Everest, and a lot of people like, Plenty of people know that Everest is super touristy and it's uh, everybody can go up Everest and it's just expensive. You just pay to get up. Yeah, sure. But but once I was researching it, you can't make a higher mountain. Like there's literally no higher mountain on earth. And it has some very unique challenges. Um, and the more and more I looked into it, I literally, I like, I realized I couldn't go do that. I like, I, I couldn't go in three months and do that. It was, it was ex- incredibly expensive. It was incredibly physically difficult. Like, Sure, I'm I'm young and athletic, but would I actually succeed physically? Oh, it's really expensive. Could I actually pay for that? Probably no, I can't. And so it was just like a couple. It's a convergence, and it was it's finally a goal that to me was like, this may take me years to accomplish. And so I set my sights on that, and as as solely as a way to to heal my bruised ego from the grit and resilience test that told me I sucked. And that I had never committed to a goal more than two years. And so once I finally realized, like, this goal actually might take me more than two years, let me dedicate to this as a growing experience. If I'm able to climb Everest in my late 20s to early 30s, it will have been a multi-year effort. I'll have learned so much through that that I will be able to go on and do whatever I want. That was my my intention. And it was this beautiful moment. I, I, I I was really stoked on myself for this because when I was in Missouri with my ex and we had meant to go travel the world... When we were there buying our, our first piece of property and supposed to have a rental empire, it was like, how do we stay abroad? How do we snowbird? How do we get out of the shitty American climate in the winter and stay in the tropics during the, uh, during the winter? And so I commit to this goal with Everest. And then I'm like, well, how do I progress? I will go to Ecuador. I will go to South America and I'll climb 20,000 foot peaks because you got to go to 20,000 foot peaks or 6,000 meter peaks before you go over to Nepal and you do 7,000 and eventually 8,000 plus with like Everest. It's a a skills progression. And so as I chose Ecuador as like, I'm going to go and climb some 20,000 foot mountains, some 6,000 meter mountains. And as I'm getting on the plane to Ecuador 
to like start this journey of a multi-year goal commitment, I realized that for years I had planned to snowbird in, in South America and it had taken me years to get there in a sideline goal, but I was on a plane to spend an indefinite amount of time in South America with a one-way ticket. And I was like, fuck, I just did it. And it was, it was, it was, it was, I was so fucking stoked with myself, honestly, because uh, I'm gonna be in I'm gonna be in South America for months. I'm gonna snowbird as an American, as an early career American. Like you think of snowbirds as like grandparents going to fucking <laughs> Arizona or something. It's like no, I'm snowboarding to South. I'm snowbirding to South America to climb mountains during the winter because Seattle sucks during the winter. I mean, daylight wise and rainy wise, and sure there's snow sports in the mountains, and I do like snowboarding, but it's like that was really it was really cool to me. It's like in the progress of a multi-year goal, I actually accidentally succeeded in a different multi-year goal. And so that was what was, uh, that was what climbing is for me, was for me. That's what international travel is for me. It's this, it's this long-term commitment towards exploring the world, seeing all these sites, progressing myself physically because, you know, I've recently gotten to sailboat racing as a crew member, not as a helmsman or a boat owner, but like as a crew member, I've gotten to sailboat racing and I realized that's something I can do until my sixties. Like the, my, the, my skipper is, is in his sixties and he just bought this beautiful boat. It's like a half million dollar yacht. And I get to, I get the honor of racing on it as a young guy up on the foredeck. And it's like, great, but guess what? I could do this in my sixties. I know it. I'm watching these guys. I can't climb Everest in my sixties. So how do I use these next couple decades to make use of this body that I still have? how do I make business support that? And then I don't know what the question you have next, but there's, I just thought of another story when I was at that software startup, I went and called upon a bowling alley. Cause we had a small, it was a, it was a, a scheduling software for small businesses. And I went to this bowling alley and he was in Kent. So I went down to this bowling alley and he had inherited it from his father. He didn't actually need it because he'd made his own money elsewhere. And he, he didn't end up buying for me, but he basically is this old dude, like 67 years old. And he, I was like, dude, he didn't say dude, but he said, he said, you know what? Here's my philosophy. It's like the first 20 years of your life, you study hard. Your second 20 years of your life, you play hard. And your third 20 is when you work hard. And he's like, that's where everybody has it wrong. And I don't know if this guy's right or not, but this is what he told me. He said, your third 20, 20 to 60, that's when, or 40 to 60, that's when you actually work hard. He said, 20 to 40, you should not be working hard. You should not be focused. He's like, there were always... There was all he basically said there was always fruit to pick in France, and that money went way further in Algeria. And if he would just cross the Mediterranean, and I don't even know if my geography is right there, I'm American, but, but <laughs> he said he would stay under the desert stars for just like peanuts, just for no money. And it was money he had made like picking fruit in France, and he did that for years. And he came back to America in his 40s. He invented this software company. It's like, I don't even get into what he did, it was just. It's just this unique little niche. It, it worked. It made him recurring revenue. Made him rich. Not like stellar, not billionaire rich, but like totally self-sufficient rich. And he's like, and if you do your third 20 right, he's like, then you're retired and you're playing again. And if, he was just like chastising me and my generation for trying to work so hard from 20 on, 20 to 40, work, work, work. And he's like, no. You just need enough. You just need enough. And you, you use your body. You use yourself. Like, you're just... You're youthful. It's like, once you're 40, you could commit. You could have nothing at 40 and then commit to an idea and make a ton of money in 20 years. Like, you still have 20 years. From 40 to 60, that's plenty to make a retirement. 
And I mean, compounding interest is one thing and, and yeah, you should probably get started sooner if you're doing that. But, <laughs> but like as entrepreneurs, it's different as entrepreneurs, you don't have to, uh, and this is what maybe I tell myself to, to help myself because I didn't start a, a successful career early in life and I'm not raking in the retirement income of compounding interest, but I'm knowing that my skills are progressing. My ability to create something from nothing is progressing and, and to know other entrepreneurs that you just, you could have everything fall apart. There's story after story. I was just on a, that Zoom call I came from, that guy, 21 years in business, his main his main customers were advertising agencies to the main automotive manufacturers in America. It's like Ford, GM, that stuff. Ford, GM, and, and those other companies decided that they were going to take everything in-house. They fired everybody. And then him, as a secondary supplier, got left with the bill. He had 40 employees. It was just completely out. He ended up shutting down his business after 21 years, $500,000 in debt, and no employees. That fucking sucks. And then he just went on and started another business the, like the next fucking day. He, he was leaving his lawyer's office. I, I, I was just on the Zoom call this, this evening. He was leaving his lawyer's office with his laptop. And his lawyer said, I can't let you take that. That's, that's company property. He's like, but all my contacts are on here. He's like, I can't let you take that. And he was down in tears in front of his young daughters that his business had just failed. They're taking his laptop from him. Yeah. He took out his cell phone and started his next advertising, like his, his next media company, essentially. And and he's, and it, it's fucking great. Like, it's just fucking great. Like, I don't know how old he is. He's probably like early 40s, maybe late 30s. But like, guy's fucking killing it again. And that's, that's just, that's so common in entrepreneurship is that people go bust but they've learned the skills going bust to go again. And that, 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 that helps me because I'm not reached a point of success where I feel super comfortable. But Well, that's why I asked because, you know, we do have a lot in common. I remember you being my mentor at a very young age and like learning things and feeding off things from the experience that you had that I had living in the middle of nowhere in Montana. But seeing you and all these extreme ideas and those things that keep you going through the goods, the bads, and the goal idea is really cool. You know, I didn't know that about you until now and why you do those things. But do you think you could pull anything or do anything to guide that to where your future holds in business? That's, that's kind of why I had kind of full circle asked that because it's like, you know, you're in painting. I know you can do a lot bigger things than painting, right? You have these ideas. You're talking about spaceship that's way over my IQ, right? And and you're talking about these. So have you ever like, is there a middle ground or something that you've ever seen industry-wise that maybe you can latch on to or is that just to be determined? No, it will happen. But do you, do you have anything out there besides uh, is it is it space, is that the answer or is there other things that you've had ideas of? So that that's the thing. Like uh, I think I, I shared that joke earlier that the best way to make a space millionaire is to start as a billionaire. Is Can that be a billionaire first? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's like there's like a lot. There's there's a, uh, by a lot. I can think of four right off the top. Everybody knows Elon Musk and SpaceX, uh, but he actually like propelled his entire fortune that he made from nothing in PayPal into SpaceX and Tesla and was almost bankrupt at the end of 2009, 2008. And both those companies are incredible successes right now. Um, Bezos also, and his like high school valedictorian speech, he's talking about creating the earth into a nature preserve and everybody lives off planet because we have to protect mother earth. Like, and then he ended up selling books. He drove across the country to start a software company in Seattle and would go around and, and like literally buy books from bookstores to sell to his customers who had found his thing online. And then Blue Origin in Kent, Washington is the second largest aerospace employer in Washington state after Boeing because that guy, just like Elon, cares more about space than Amazon. Like 
that may or may not be true, but like he cares more about where humanity is going. And Amazon is simply a means to that. Just like PayPal was a means to SpaceX eventually, kind of. I mean, that, that's a little more complicated story. But there's two, like Richard Branson, also a billionaire before he started Virgin Galactic. And then one a lot of people don't know is uh, Robert Bigelow. Like Robert Bigelow is this, this random contractor from the Southwest who built a bunch of motels that helped with transient workers. Yeah, Robert Bigelow. He ended up starting Bigelow Aerospace, which is an inflatable space station company. Multi-million dollar contracts from NASA. But he started as a billionaire and didn't ever tell his wife his ambitions in space until he had got out of this the contracting business where they're building motels all through the Southwest. He made billions building motels in the Southwest or and and then went into space. So it's one of those things where it's like I can look at a lot of space business plans and like a lot of them as a as a college dropout with no engineering degree, with with no experience, like technically, what am I gonna do? Well painting houses it keeps me in in the game and the game isn't any different to me and this i mean plenty of people could pick this argument apart and maybe i'm stupid sometimes i feel really stupid like how is painting houses going to get me any closer to space well you know there's there's a lot that needs to happen like if elon musk and bezos both succeed at their wildest ambitions they will have a transportation network and like a very rudimentary infrastructure network and there's so much to, to make a self-sustaining civilization off planet there's when there when there's that much to be done there's so much opportunity there's so many more businesses that have to fill in those gaps there's and so how do i get to that point where it's like i'm financially successful enough and i have the skills enough to lead people to create systems to do those things that shit i hate it every year i think can i get out of painting and honestly it's it's a monetary decision i can't like i have to go paint another hundred houses next year to keep paying my bills and and to keep progressing do you have goals to maybe what that looks like, or are you just like trying to kick ass take names right now? My goal is to get out of the painting business in three years. How has that changed from a student at Wazoo? What were your goals then? Because you talked about your ego a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, to be honest, like I felt like I definitely had an ego growing up. I think coming to Seattle, I am very low ego, but my friends still say like, you know, you definitely, you know, that you're that guy. So I think we have that in common, and you're very boisterous in there as well. So like, I'm just trying to connect the dots of. You know, sure, you're still in painting, but you still have these great visions, and obviously your mind goes a million miles an hour, which is a good thing in entrepreneurship. And you know, you have a goal to get the fuck out of the painting business, but how has that changed for maybe younger Brad, and and maybe how has your ego evolved since then? The goal actually hasn't changed. Um, my goal has always been to help this uh, like off-planet humanity to like help us become off planet it hasn't changed the means has constantly been changing because i've been a foolish young kid a lot of times like why did i like if, if I, in hindsight like why did i do a lot of the things i did like i was an idiot like i just fell forward right i, I kept falling forward yeah i'm <laughs> continuing to fall forward <laughs> I, I think the ego thing is like yeah i i know myself pretty well i'm i'm my ego affects me. I'm at least able to stay conscious of it. Like I know when I'm making an ego decision and I feel like that's a huge improvement. Whereas before I was very, uh, unconscious of the ways I let my ego control me and the ways I would get annoyed and irritated. Now when I know it annoyed or irritated, I can at least label it like, Oh yeah, that's probably my fault. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that helps a lot. Just knowing. Who would you say is your biggest influence or your, your biggest just 
who gave you the best advice and who is your biggest influence to get you to where you are today? You talk about all these mentors, you talk about all these world travels. Maybe it wasn't a person, maybe it was an experience, but what do you think has really helped catapult you to, to be where you are and help you achieve these, these big goals? You know, it sounds silly because I would falter for a lot of things, but I'd say my mom. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, I had a pretty, I want to I call it super fucked up. I'm sure plenty of people yeah, had. Shout out. No, yeah, my mom, I got I got a shout out to my mom because through everything from my childhood, she was there. She just was there. I remember when I called and dropped out, I called her and told her I was dropping out of college. And I've faulted her for this. I thought before you ask the question in this way. I would have answered this opposite because I faulted her. Like, why did you, why'd you let me do that? You know, like I was a straight A student in high school and, and like I would come home with a B or B plus and she'd be like, is it the best you could have done? I'd be like, no, the teacher sucked. She said, well, that's not good enough. You know? And I, I would go back and I'd do better. And then when I called her to drop out of college. She's like, yeah, I kind of thought you were going to do that. And so like in hindsight, I'm like, why'd you let me do that? Why did you like, you know, kick me in the ass or something? But you know, she's always been like, I know you'll figure it out. I, I believe in you. I support you. And just like having that that person in your corner is definitely, definitely helped. So. I can relate to that to my mom. And it's funny how, especially when you have the ego at a young age and you think you know everything and you're like, no, these, you know, they don't know. They don't have those answers. And then we get older and you're like, ah, damn it. Like she didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I can definitely relate there. So shout out to the moms. There. Yeah, they, definitely. They, they do know what they're doing. And. Sometimes, you know, we talked about raising kids in the future, like, sometimes you just got to let them think and fell forward themselves, because you can't tell people what to do, because I know when I'm told what to do, I'm like, fuck you, I'm going to do something different. Do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do the exact opposite. It's like telling a two-year-old, don't touch that. One of the first things they do is they touch it. So. Yeah. Um, and then next question, kind of the same thing. Throughout your experience, what would you say, we talked about your back against the wall, uh, kind of the darkest time, but what's been your highest of highs? Where Has it been the mountain hiking? I mean, you talked about how you felt really good about yourself. Has it maybe been professional or something else personally? Where have you felt like, holy shit, this is a high, like I got to get back into another motion like that? That's a really good question. I saw that question on your on your little pre-help you sent me. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because the story I shared earlier, which was kind of like, I just did it. The it was hiking? Like, yeah, well, like, yeah, like the 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 snowboarding in yep. Latin America. It was like I did it, and yet I was only realizing that in the middle of a new larger goal. And so it's hard to feel like I feel like every goal that I've accomplished has come with it. It's just I just realized like I'm further up this ladder, this step, this this process that will never end. Um, I feel like getting this house this year was a big big step for me i was really and it's not technically in seattle but it is and that i mean shit puget sound couldn't even think about in the puget sound right well, i, I talked talk to my friends in missouri or any any <laughs> other state and then like what'd you buy it for I, I had a friend come from ecuador recently and he came over to my house and i have a guest bedroom like i feel like a super adult like i have a guest bedroom like hey there's a fully furnished extra bedroom would you like to stay <laughs> great and, and they're like what'd you get this for i'm like well 607 and to me, I'm like, that's fucking cheap. Like, I can't believe I just scraped by in this. And they're like, what the? It's a shitty house. Like, <laughs> they're like, they're basically like, what'd you just buy? And I'm like, no, no. Like, it's the Puget Sound. The Puget Sound is different. Like, our, our, I mean, our pricing is higher. Um, it felt really good to get that. But I don't know. It's just, I think, um, 
one of the things that I, I don't know if it was like an exact point in time, but one thing that I've become much more comfortable with is just knowing that it's never going to be perfect and that I'm not where I want to be. And I used to just get so upset. And, and now it's more of a trusting the process. Like if I put in that daily work, if I keep making the goals, I can have a bad day and not like get really guilty and like shame, like the Brene Brown stuff, like, um, just not feeling shame for, for poor performance that happens occasionally. Just knowing that like, well, I'm going to come back and do it better. And every day is going to be better. And, and just that sort of maturity and, and realizing that the minutia doesn't actually matter. There's so much randomness in life and it takes years to accomplish really meaningful things that if I just stay true to the long-term goals, I don't have to beat myself up over like daily and, and, and like minute by minute habits that I may or may not fulfill my goal or I may like slip on a habit I wanted to create. Like that's, that's not worth the bad emotional energy to beat myself up on it. It's like, just keep, I, I actually just heard, I think that's a Jeff Bezos quote is how it was told to me today. I learned it today. I, I, I loved it. I wrote it down. It was, um, stubborn on the vision, flexible on the details. I just love that. It's like, well, I, I spent so much of the last 10 years beat myself up on the details. I'm doing this wrong, doing this wrong. No, it takes a long time to make things worthwhile happen. So stubborn on the vision, flexible in details. And yeah, there's a couple quotes. Some of my mentors have given me out. Shout out Kyle Redman. Um, consistent actions equal consistent results. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge in sales for anyone who's trying to get into sales. What you do today usually results 30 days from now. Right? Yeah, it's, it's at least. Consistent. So consistent actions equal consistent results. But also, people are going to be high. People are going to be low. But if you can find yourself fucking in the middle, that's usually the golden opportunity. And that's usually where you want to be. It's almost like the swan, right? When the swan's in the water, you see it, it's all like beautiful looking above the water. But what's it doing under the water? It's fucking little legs are just cruising yeah. and going to town, right? <laughs> yeah. So like always just keep those in mind because, I mean, it's easy to beat yourself up and get caught in the things. But it's like, hey, if I put these results in, I'm winning or put these actions in, I'm going to get the results. And fuck, I'm feeling low today or I'm feeling high today, but I got to keep myself in the middle because, I mean, we're just emotional human beings. And it's just what it is. Yeah. Um, especially during COVID, it seems like everyone talks about being more emotional. I haven't had too much issues with that, but I, I definitely always kind of check myself like, shit, today's a low. Like, things will get better. Just kind of keep in the middle. Shit, I'm on cloud nine today. Steelers beat the Cowboys in Dallas. <laughs> but shit's going to hit the fan one day. Like, get, you know, get ready. Hey, hang out in the middle. Yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, there's a million quotes out there. I even like sometimes sending my team little positive quotes in the morning, get them, get the morale up. I think it makes a huge difference. But um, through all of this craziness, I mean, awesome story. I think everyone would appreciate you being honest and, and sharing those things. Uh, it's not the typical story you, uh, that you that you hear. But again, Forrest Gump. It's not the typical story. No. But what has kept you going and keeping you through the grind? Has it? Do you think it's been your sphere of influence with all these mentorship groups, these entrepreneurship groups? Has it been your mom, your personal relationships? Like, what's helped keep you? You know, I hate the term motivated because motivated is like me giving you the carrot, and you just got to keep trying to get the carrot. You know, maybe just a positive influence. What's kept in, kept you go through all these ups and downs? It's an, it, it is a carrot. It is innate. It's like I am the donkey chasing the carrot, and I think I will be for the rest of my life. There's always something I can do better. And and I call out Gary V. Like I think his message is really on point these days. Um, I think he talks a lot to this. I would call out Ayn Rand, like Atlas Shrugged. Like that book was you – know, a lot of people would fault that book for its political message. But like that – like the, the 
the people, the characters she highlights in that, they're just, and, and any, basically, any entrepreneurially minded person that just always sees success, always sees something better, something in the world that can change. Like Steve Jobs, like, I love that guy. He was an asshole. But, like, just knowing his memory and his history, like, that that is somebody I aspire to be, even though, like, he ruined relationships. I don't, I don't quite want to ruin as many relationships as he did, but just, like, that, that unending desire for improvement, like, that... I don't know if it's ever going to go away from me. And I, I, I do think it might be genetic. Like my sister is not as much of an entrepreneur as me. Like she is a, a competent, intelligent woman and she's successful in her career and she wants to kind of get into entrepreneurship. But it's almost like I would die without it. Like I would, I would like wither away with a routine that's, that's not within my control. I don't know. Um, I, I, I feel like I had no choice but to get through because that's who I am. And a couple shout outs to uh, to groups that I've I found like Seattle Startup Week was amazing just finding other peers I feel like finding peers that are like minded because like I said and we've talked about is that he, as an entrepreneur talking to employee friends sometimes they just don't get it and that, that feels like a vacant conversation again and again where you feel like you can't bring up your own issues because they won't be understood they won't be received and so just finding a community like finding a community of other entrepreneurs to share that with finding a community of like minded people I'm sure it works in I mean, if I was a chess champion, the I quote I like is you're the sum of the ten people you surround yourself with. Yeah. Right. So in your case, you can't be around just the employee people. You got to get into the entrepreneur. Well, if they're really great groups. employees, I would love to. <laughs> I mean, sure, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I think it, you've probably just molded yourself and kind of vibed. I always use the vibe. It's kind of like the oh, stoner vibes, like whatever. But like yeah. you vibe with the people that have that same wavelength. Yeah, and um, I had a I had a buddy. Um, another student painter friend, we we're actually going to partner in our painting business and he went off on his own separate direction and he had to shut his business down. But one time he took me to his mentor session at the SBA. And for those who don't know, the SBA has a program called SCORE. I have no idea what the acronym stands for, but it's SCORE. Um, and it is free business mentorship. And you can search on their website for your industry. And especially now with COVID that basically everything's virtual, you can find a mentor across the country. But here in Seattle, like I met Larry, Larry freaking built and sold like a $10 million contracting business. And he's just like an old hippie who's retired and just gives his time for free to young entrepreneurs like myself. And I'm like, and, and my buddy took me there and he ended up, his business shut down. But it was like a year later. I was like, fuck, I bet that Larry guy knows what I, I gotta go talk to him. And I went and it's just free. It's, it's from the small business administration It's government funded. It is free. So if, and, and they have all industries available. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll be bringing up an issue and Larry's like, you should talk to the lawyer here. And I, I just could get free law advice from the lawyer that volunteers his time at SCORE or free marketing advice from this lady or free, like I'm not in manufacturing, but there's like, there are so many different mentors available at SCORE. Like I, I just got to give a shout out to those guys, even though it's, you know, it's like government run organization, like free mentorship from somebody who's been there and then eo like an entrepreneur's organization and i'm not quite in the one million a year in revenue that gets you into actual eo but i'm in the accelerator program here in seattle and that's what had me tied up in like 10 hours of zoom calls today was oh, <laughs> you told me that and I was like, are you sure you well i thought it was wednesday and i scheduled this <laughs> for thursday and then like a week later i'm like oh shit i just thursday's gonna be tough like, <laughs> Yeah, you've been running since, <laughs> since eight o'clock. Okay, twelve hours. Yeah, I got on. I got Zoom on the eight o'clock, and then and it just went through. And then after that, yeah. Anyway, it's Thank good you though. Double barrel. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's good though because like those are all other entrepreneurs and and that's quarterly learning days which i just had and it sucks being on zoom but it's much better in person but also we have monthly accountability group meetings in that program which are with other business owners and it's like five of us with similar sized businesses different industries we get together and we workshop like our biggest problems in business for the month and just that i mean yeah it's, it's a pretty structured meeting it's like three hour meeting um really good stuff comes out of it the friends that come out of that and like the the drinks afterwards and just bitching and being like oh you have a completely different industry than mine but you know what it's like to have employees you know what it's like to not know how to make payroll you know how it's like to like your work just got pulled out from underneath you like there's some people i'm so proud of in that industry and like in, in that in, there's so many people who have affected more by covid than myself like it's it's incredible like honestly my demand went up this year i lost about a month of production in april when we shut down but then construction was back before most other businesses and then most people aren't traveling so they have more money to spend in their homes like if anything we've been doing better and i have friends in like food and tourism they're just fucked and like to watch them just pivot and start new businesses immediately in this it's like I honestly don't know if I could have done it. Like, it's so it's so much respect for these people. And I'm it's... super grateful for having a job because if I had lost a job after getting this new apartment and trying to, like, start the podcast and stuff, it would have been brutal. But it is cool to see the American nature and how we're molding and shifting. And I had talked to my – the last interview I had, he's a DJ. And we had, I had talked about, I think, COVID, there is going to be some limelights at the end of it. And I think two of the biggest ones that always come to mind is education and business. Mm-hmm. So education's fucked. Where I think we're changing it, and hopefully it, it's for the good. And business, it's molding. Because to be honest, dude, before COVID, how many businesses did you see that's like, Jesus Christ, man, that's a business? Like, come on. like It's just like over-inflated businesses. It's just like, we need to cut some of these out. And this is forcing people to have more structured, controlled business versus just like, you know, all the different pop-up businesses that there are. So... I think it's going to be interesting to see how things are coming out. But, yeah, to those business owners that keep grinding, I mean, I couldn't imagine just having to pivot like that. It's really cool to see, though. It's like starting a whole new business. And yeah. and that's one thing that um, I've had to come to terms with is knowing that I don't want to be in painting the rest of my life is that whatever I go to next. And, and you know this, having gone through student painters and even having started this podcast, I'm sure, is it's just like the inordinate amount of hours. Like, if you were to calculate how much you're making for the hours you're putting in, it is peanuts. It is way less than minimum wage. And a lot of entrepreneurship is like that. Is You're not doing it for the money at first. You're doing it for the opportunity of money later. You're doing it for the opportunity of freedom or something. And, and every new venture requires that. And so that's why even entrepreneurs get complacent. They have a, a moderately successful business, and they're happy with that because maybe they get kids or maybe they get to a point in life where they're like, I'm not going to start up again. And like I'm having to mentally prepare for that, like it will happen again. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, and it's brutal. And I'm watching other people go through it. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not doing it. Well, I'm gonna have to. It's gonna happen. And and not everybody needs to make that happen. Some people can run like that's what boring businesses are so good at. You can run a boring business, make really great money, have lots of freedom and flexibility, and never have. I mean, but sometimes ambitions are greater than see, what's in front of you and i mean life changes with kids and things like that but i think it's also depend you know i hate the word end goal because there's no end to anything and you shouldn't strive for an end goal but it it's really like the what is your acceptability line right mm-hmm. are you acceptable paying just a little bit more than what your bills are having the family having a range rover and then that's it or in your version like you're like fuck that like i gotta keep going i want to go to space and colonize mars like that's a whole different version of you know end goal or, or things that you're striving for so it really depends because 
you know, I, I talk about Pinedale. Some people are more happy than I am living there. They're like, yo, dude, I'm making $50,000 a year, but my house is dirt fucking cheap, and I live in the best mountain range in the world. Yeah. Like, that is happiness and pure happiness. That just wasn't my version, right? So everyone has their different versions, but it's cool to see how people judge that, guide that, and what keeps them going to, to keep striving for it. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Pretty intense one. Okay. So last time I saw you, and same thing you probably saw me, you're a nice clean shaved guy, yeah. facial hair. Is this a COVID thing, or is this just like... Oh, the facial hair? And the long hair, too. Oh, no, the long hair started in 2015. Uh... Is just something that you just rolled with? I, I got back to Seattle, and I was like, going to all these festivals, I was like, that man bun trend. <laughs> I think I could do it. I think I could do it. And it was hard. Like, I grew it out like two or three times and was like fuck stupid and i cut it off again and finally i was just 2016 i I shaved myself bald or like it was number one i took a number one and i shaved myself that's different than bald yeah you're 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 right you're right for a lot of people it was pretty bald but like took a number one i shaved myself and i was like i don't care and it was the long hair don't care like i i had to because there was a lot of stages of really wonky and then i was like i got the man bun and now i i like really hesitant to cut it off because it was it was a lot of time to get it and yeah this is the longest I've ever had anything I've never had a beard before it's my first one it's oh, pretty nice. shitty but it's there and it was all just from a coworker bed of like let's not shave until we go back to the office oh and it was all funny <laughs> games until we're now not slated to go back in office till next July and I was like there's no way in hell I'm yeah. doing that well a little bit of trimming helps like I uh, I did I that I wouldn't do it though all I have not at all. the lips yep yep. Yeah, because when I went to Ecuador the first time, I grew out this scraggly beard. I was like, "This is the longest I." And then, like in photos, I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is this is getting kind of scraggly cut. But I um I thought no shave November. I haven't had a beard in a while, and I gave it like a three week head start. So I had I went into November, and I'm thinking I'll I'll cut it down. I usually like to keep it stubble. The beard is actually I haven't had it this long all year. The man bun has been pretty permanent for like the last three years. Yeah, but. I mean. <laughs> this isn't a man bun, but specifically Dude, you could almost long. get it. <laughs> it's long, bro. And I'm a Steeler fan like Troy Polamalu hair. I was like, man, I got Troy Polamalu hair. Heck yeah. And uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I was like, damn. And I'm ready to shave it off. So my goal is I, ha- I have to wait till this goes live till I can do it. Okay. And I'm like ready to book. Like the more interviews uh-huh. I get, I'm like, okay, I'm booking <laughs> my hair appointment. I get the full shave, the full cut. Because I usually rock a zero on the sides oh, okay. and a finger length up top. Okay. So like super like nice and clean. So yeah. I had to ask because I wasn't Man, sure if it was a quarantine. And I've, I've I've honestly been thinking I'm just gonna cut the fucker off like and I have before <laughs> I'm just like just like not like a knife like samurai style but like I have just been like oh I cut it and and it's a lot of maintenance so like one thing it's it's nice like I have a lot more hair in my shower now like a woman it's just like hair is everywhere when you have a woman in the shower you used to be like can you please like your hair is fucking everywhere I was just... now I go in the shower my <laughs> fucking hair is everywhere and I'm like I get it now like I get it I get uh, it I had, I had an ex teach me like like hair just falls out and, and you can stick it on the side of the, yeah, the I shower yeah I do that now exactly and it's yeah. like oh you grab it at the end yep throw I, it up throw it away I did that the other day and, and some, somebody was like no my hair spot's down here and I was like oh okay well we could, <laughs> I get, we could share a hair spot then. Yeah, disgusting <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never been in that position before, but I haven't shaved or cut my hair since March, so this is for March. Nice. And now I'm like, cool, we'll at least go through No Shave November, right? And then I'm just, my plan is to have an appointment, like, first week of December, like, get this shit. Not wait until July then? No, I mean, um, ideally we'll go live latest, first of the year, I'd like to go sooner, but due to the holidays and stuff, we'll see. Do you have the next business podcast I have, scheduled? Uh, yeah, more interviews scheduled. 
and then I want to make a trailer of like all the interviews that I have, like, oh, cool, this is what's coming, right? And then post on all the socials, and then I'll have an actual live date where I'll start the business or uh, sports episodes each week, and then three to four weeks I'll throw out the businesses. So, and then once I throw yours, I'll have the socials and everything. So, okay, I'll ha- I'll ha- add this on later, but. If people want to get a paint job, people want to follow Brad through his entrepreneurship journey, what's your socials? Where should they go? Um, definitely Instagram, uh, at Federson's Folly. That's F as in Frank, E, two Ds as in David, E-R-S-E-N-S. It's like a plural, Folly. If you can't spell Folly, you shouldn't follow me. But <laughs> Federson's Folly, and I honestly was, I mean, you found me, some of my social stuff. It's not real what you see online, guys. It's not like... Even my LinkedIn is a little bit, um, I wouldn't call it exaggerative. My LinkedIn is not quite exaggerative, but it does point towards a story. Like I, I'm creating a story with my LinkedIn profile. It's a, it's a, it's a public resume essentially. And it leaves out a lot of interesting details. Uh, and then my Instagram also, I was like hiking with these girls are getting free shit. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we post photos and we have 30,000 followers yeah, exactly. and we get free stuff. I'm like, I can do that. And so like I spent a year like side hustle hard, like, do you remember Tamagotchis? Did you ever have Tamagotchis? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. So Instagram became my Tamagotchi for like a year. Like, just wake up and feed the beast. And and that's why I have so many followers. It's like, not that many, but it's more than an average person. And it's like, I did that because I was feeding my Tamagotchi. And, <laughs> and, and it really is exaggerative. It's like, I am not in the mountains every weekend, but I can post photos every week. Like yeah. it's, it's... I, mean, I mean, that's how I was like, your Instagram was like every different kind of mountain. I was like, Ecuador, out here. And you just did one recently? Uh, well no i climbed baker recently and then i did sahali recently pretty easy mountains honestly here in the northwest but um ecuador is pretty great Uh, honestly quito ecuador the the capital city of ecuador should be a sister city to seattle uh for those especially like summer sports instead so like winter hits and a lot of people can just put their skis or snowboard on and i enjoy seattle you know but still fucking like eight hours of of daylight a day it sucks and and quito is on the equator so you get 12 hours of daylight and there is hiking like within 30 minutes of the city and you go to this this mountainous city there's hiking everywhere use the u.s dollar like quito is an amazing sister city to seattle i would love to see more people i'd love to see a direct flight to, to quito from seattle that would be amazing i have to check it out i've only been canada and mexico never been internationally seriously Seriously. Oh, man. Well, I mean... You're going to have to be my guy. I, I honestly... The biggest thing I'm afraid of is, like, I'm an amazing race guy. I really, I still, to this day, want to be on the amazing race. Shout out maybe one day. Maybe Heck, yeah. Like, hey, this guy needs to get on. But I am so worried, like, when I go to these big cities, like, can't even understand the fucking freeways and shit. I'm like, man, what am I going to do if I'm in Quito, Ecuador, and I can't even speak the freaking language? And pues, I'm like, going to get chopped up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to do something, but... <laughs> Uh, maybe one day for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a, Fuck yeah. a, a big goal. So, uh, but I appreciate it, man. Dude, like I said, I was a little bitch and broke my hand the other day. I'm gonna get an X-ray tomorrow. You're actually no. I honestly, I'm gonna go get what? No, I, I I got a standing punching bag and I watched Wayne. Everybody should go watch Wayne. I don't know when this is coming out, but Wayne on Amazon Prime. They haven't committed to a second season yet. I want them to make a second season. And they, like, th- there's no way a human body can take these fight scenes. They're just like beating each other, like Brocky movie status. And so I, I go out to my punching bag, and I'm obviously not a fighter. And this, this, this standing punching bag tilts over, and I go to punch it, and it comes back. Honestly, it hurts so bad. I can't full, form a full fist. If I put pressure on the side of my hand, it hurts 
so bad right here. So I had the Zoom calls and this today. So I was like, well, I can't go to the urgent care today. <laughs> I'm going to get an x-ray tomorrow. It sucks. I literally don't want to shake your hand. I'll give you a hug, What's though. Yeah, dude, left hand. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, follow him on socials. We'll post them once we go live. And uh, appreciate it, man. It means a lot. Heck yeah. Cool. Thanks, Shane.